Hello and welcome to episode 234 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. I'm in Los Angeles. I just had to go get a sweater because my heat isn't working because my basement flooded. Your basement uh, flooded. You have a basement. (laughs) Yeah. Did I? I told you, right? When they were doing crazy construction here and they had to replace all the pipes in the entire building? Yeah. They, yeah. Mm-hmm. That took a lot longer than expected. And also, as they were doing it, they fucked something up and they had apparently there was like four feet of water in the basement. Hmm. And so it flooded out like all the electronics on all of the hardware down there. Hmm. And so um, I, I haven't had any heat. Hmm. Well, of course, the 10 day forecast shows nothing but sun in Los Angeles, so it's not going to be that bad. What's it's, the temperature you know, there right now? <laughs> it's like 64. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You need a sweater. <laughs> oh, the humanity. <laughs> yeah. We'll somehow, Ben, somehow we'll, we'll survive. Yeah. How you been? Pretty good. <clears throat> right now I'm on a kick uh, reading or listening to audiobooks about health like diet and all these different, you know, things that are out there. Uh-huh. And um, I, I get on these like hyper-focused reading binges, I guess you could say, where I'll uh-huh. focus on one topic. A couple years ago it was black holes and then, and then it was like distractions like email. And I'll tackle a bunch of books on the same topic and then all of a sudden I'll just be like, okay, I know enough about that. And I don't know what triggers it, but then I just lose interest. But right now I'm reading a book about cholesterol and it is the most random subject, right? If you had asked me six months ago, would you like to learn about cholesterol? I'd be like, mm, no, <laughs> but I have come across this book in the process of reading these random books about health. And it is shocking to me, the disconnect between what we know about cholesterol, like the scientists that are actually researching it and what you learn about cholesterol in your doctor's office. It is so outdated what you learn when you go get like your blood tested and your doctor starts going over with you what your cholesterol means, that it's essentially useless. And um, the reasons for that, at least this this book goes into, have a lot to do with the pharmaceutical industry, which makes about $29 billion a year, I guess, and how they're trying to keep the status quo. But it's a fascinating book they would... I would never have been interested in before, but now that I'm learning about it and how all this stuff connects back to law and policy um, is surprisingly interesting. Interesting. I wish I, if I read more, I would have something interesting to say. Yeah, well, here, I'll give you, I'll give you one tidbit to help you understand how outdated the current standard of practice is. So a lot of times people go to the doctor, they get their blood tested and they are told their total cholesterol number right? Your total cholesterol number is the sum of your HDL cholesterol, which is the good cholesterol, and your LDL cholesterol, which is supposedly bad, although researchers have come to find out that a lot of, it depends on the type of LDL that you have, and doctors don't ever really dive into that. So you could have totally benign LDL cholesterol, or you could have really, really bad LDL cholesterol. But in any case, the bottom line is that your total cholesterol is the sum of your HDL and your LDL cholesterols. And 
a lot of doctors, if your total cholesterol is over 200, they start panicking. And they're like, hey, we got to get you on a drug. Lipitor is a very common one. These are statins, right, that reduce your cholesterol. But the idea that your cholesterol, your total cholesterol number has any meaning is like pretty questionable these days. Because if you, it'd be like going to, or, or you know, your friend goes to a baseball game and you say, hey, how was the game? And you say the total score was 25 points. <laughs> it's like, okay. okay, well, wait. So how much was for one team? Runs, Ben. They're called runs in baseball. <laughs> Thanks. How many, how many runs did one team get and how many runs did the other team get, right? It could be a total knockout one way or the other. Or what would you say yeah. for baseball? Wouldn't be knockout. Would it be a... Be a <laughs> You gotta help me out here. It, no, uh, yeah, I mean a blowout. A blowout. Sure. Okay, uh-huh. it could be in one direction or another, or it could have been like perfectly. Yeah, close. Yeah, yeah twenty. Uh-huh. You know, thirteen to twelve or something yep. like that. So, <laughs> you know, if someone said there was twenty five runs, you'd be like, oh, okay. Well, sounds like there was a lot of scoring going on. I mean, that is ignorant as I am about baseball. That sounds rather high. Is that high? I was just going to give you a quiz to see if you knew that it, if it was high or low. But yes, uh, 25 runs in a baseball game would be extremely high. Yeah, it sounds like a, just a lot of That'd people be going like two home. or three times <laughs> as many runs as normally scored. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So you'd be like, wow, that was a really active game. But you would have no idea, you know, which team was winning or whatnot. So that's kind of what total cholesterol is yeah. like. It's like, wait a sec. Yeah. So how much of that is HDL and how much of that is LDL? And so, of course, doctors dig into that a little bit and they say, oh, look, your LDL is high. That's the bad cholesterol. We got to do something about it. But again, like I was saying, LDL can be broken down into at least two types. And one of those types is benign and the other type is a serious problem. So what do you know? You still don't really know anything, even if you have those numbers. So the drug companies have a huge incentive to have doctors keep sure. you know, prescribing these drugs. And cholesterol is actually usually a response to a problem. And so there's a lot of evidence that if you have high cholesterol, decreasing the cholesterol is like... <laughs> A correlation causation problem, right? You're yeah, you're fixing a symptom. You're fixing, of fixing a symptom the instead of the underlying problem, which is what ultimately leads to like heart attacks or whatever. So the whole thing is fucked up. There's so much money involved, and um, it's just fascinating to listen to the doctors who are part of this, you know, movement against the status quo and the challenges mm-hmm. that they face. Because so many organizations like the NIH and the American Heart Association have been kind of co-opted by these drug companies in very subtle ways. Um, and well, it's, and probably not so subtle ways. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing what, uh, billions and billions of dollars will do to your way of thinking, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, so that's what I'm learning about right now. Fascinating stuff. You're giving everybody, um, all the listeners right now are getting PTSD from all of the LSAT logical reasoning questions that are about <laughs> cholesterol, by the way. They are. I mean, there's dozens that, yeah. of questions that are about HDL and LDL and lipoproteins and yeah, yeah, <laughs> all that shit, right? Well, it's actually interesting that you mentioned that now, that now that I think about it, because one thing that the LSAT likes to test is the difference between dietary cholesterol and blood cholesterol levels, 
which is, oh, yeah. which is definitely mm-hmm. a thing, right? Like, oh, sure. if your blood cholesterol or if your dietary cholesterol goes up, then your blood cholesterol will go up. And the LSAT's like, no, not necessarily. Just because you eat it doesn't mean it will show up in your blood. And there is a lot of truth to that, especially since 80% of your cholesterol that's circulating in your blood is made by your liver. So, hmm. you know, there's all these like interesting facts out there, research. Oh, and that's the other thing is that the studies that have been used to uh, justify the current system, right? Uh, when people look back at them, they're like, oh my God, they're so flawed. But they're also so expensive to conduct that the only people who are really willing to put in the millions of dollars to do like a, a, a legit study are the drug companies. Um, there are other people who want to do it, yeah. but they don't have the money to do it in the way that would be legit. But one of the most famous studies that's being used to justify the status quo looked at people eating saturated fat, and at the same time, they were eating lots of like sugars and stuff like that. And so the the study author concluded that the saturated fat was the problem, but people are now like, uh, yeah, but there was this other variable sugar yeah. that was involved. So you can't say that that was the one that was the cause. Maybe the other one was the cause, or maybe these things are just correlated. Like there's yeah. so many problems, but it doesn't matter because they got what they wanted. So now they want to just keep pushing that idea. Yeah. We can deliver a little bit of LSAT content here um, by talking about the difference between the data that a study show and then the results or like the, uh, well, yeah, like the conclusions of the, yeah, yeah, it's the, right. So on the LSAT logical reasoning there, you're going to find, I mean, I think this might be on every single test. Yeah. Somewhere where they, they have done an experiment they give you basically the findings from the experiment is the findings the the like actual data, whatever they give you yeah. the actual data. Like, well, here's what the, here's what the survey results were, sure. or here's what the blood cholesterol counts were, or here's what the correlation was, you know, between cholesterol and heart attack or whatever. Yeah. And they give you all the, they give you data or like the summary of the data. And then they go, this shows that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's everything before the this shows that we're going to accept that stuff as fact. Mm-hmm. And everything that's after the this shows that is their conclusion. And that's always bullshit. <laughs> or yeah. it's at least inherently suspect. At least not necessarily to, true. Right. Bottom line. Right. And you should just start with the stance that, hey, this is probably going to be bullshit. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you're going to be much better off because uh, what on nine times out of 10, it is nine, nine times out of 10 on the LSAT, the findings or the data don't actually support the, what they think it supports. Yeah. So they draw conclusions from their data where you have to go, wait a second, not necessarily because, right. Yeah. And so then, and then all those things come in like, well, this might, you might be confusing a cause for an effect, or you might be just, you've shown correlation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's causation. Yeah. Or what about other factors that could be causing this apparent effect? Yeah. Interesting. So the drug companies are (laughs) very happy to uh, interpret that in the way that's most favorable to them. Yeah. Yeah. And they slip a few billion dollar bills in with their 
results to get doctors to continue to prescribe those drugs for them. Yeah, well, yeah. it's pretty insidious. I mean, I, I'm sure to whoever believes these results and the, the conclusions, I should say, um, they think they're doing a great thing. But uh, the drug companies have basically pushed you know, these various organizations to make prescribing a statin, which is a cholesterol-reducing drug. And the way it reduces cholesterol is it actually kills cells in your liver that create cholesterol. So it's a, it's a pretty nasty thing. But in any case, they've made that the standard of care. And so because that's the standard of care, if someone has high cholesterol and you're a doctor and you don't prescribe a statin, you're actually now wading out into malpractice malpractice because potentially you're not following the standard of care. And so you can get sued, you know, no matter what happens. And so then it's like you have doctors who are like, yeah, this is bullshit, but scared enough that they go ahead and prescribe it anyway because it's the safe thing to do, especially, you know, if you're busy, you run a busy practice, someone comes in, they have high cholesterol. That's the standard. And you're actually not in trouble if you prescribe that and they get hurt. <laughs> Sounds like lawyers are fucking everything up. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that in their minds, they're like, okay, well, you know, doctors are doing bad things when they don't do what they're supposed to do. What's the standard of care? And they're not medical experts. So someone somewhere kind of pushes that idea. And once that gets yeah. accepted, then that becomes a legal standard, even if Doctors are just looking at it as like, oh, what's the best thing to do here? Well, unfortunately, it becomes legal, and there are some serious issues with that. Anyways, sorry to go off on a random tangent, but it certainly ties into the LSAT. You have to be so skeptical of all these things. There was another yeah. study where this guy became pretty famous for pushing the whole like low-fat vegetarian diet, and he based it on a, a study that looked at several people with heart problems. But oh, as he was describing the study, it just made me think of the LSAT because there are so many problems. They only looked at people with heart problems as opposed to people in general. And then yeah. he failed to leave out the fact that not only did they change their diet, they also started exercising more, cut out smoking, and cut out alcohol. I was like, dude, you can't <laughs> do those four things and be like, well, it was that, so this is what's going to be best for everybody. Um, yeah. I mean, sure, it totally could be, but like, yeah. you just can't run with that. But people, there's, you know, yeah, man, there's, there's LSAT made. logical reasoning questions that do that so blatantly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where it's just, they'll even, they'll just like give it to you. You know, they're like, well, I did this study and I had people cut fat out of their diet and also start exercising nine times a week <laughs> and they had a lower risk of heart disease. And I, from this, I determined that a low fat diet reduces heart disease. Yeah, That's like actually, I mean, that's not literally an LSAT question, but that's, they do that a lot. They do that a lot. That and you find it thing. funny on the LSAT. It's and, like, Oh, this is happening well, in the real world. God damn. I know. But then it's like with my class, I'll, I'll have kids sitting there like totally scratching their heads. Like, yeah, I just can't wrap my mind around this one. I mean, it does seem <laughs> like a low fat diet does seem better. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I want to like shake them and I want to go like, did you go to college? <laughs> did you ever have a 
class that talked about the scientific method. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> you're not allowed. What about the exercising nine times a week? That didn't make any kind of a red flag for you. <laughs> it's just, it's right there on the page. You just have to be a critical thinker and you have to be expecting them to try to bullshit you. Yeah. You know, cause they, they just, they do. God. Anyways, what's, uh, what's on the show today? So today we're going to tackle a pearl versus turd. Someone sent in some advice about how to guess on the last few questions that you didn't have time to get to. Oh boy. All right. Yeah. Try to make this more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah. We're going to have someone, let's see, has a question, I guess, on how to best approach the different types of sections. Okay. Differences between LR, reading comp, and games, I guess. And then uh, we're going to deep dive into an, an an email from Anonymous, a longtime listener who has questions about negotiation tips and her personal statement. Sounds good. Yeah. This will air on Monday, March 2nd. The March LSAT is coming up soon on the 30th. Uh, it's too late to register for that, but you can register for the April LSAT on March 10th. So you have about a week to do that. And the April LSAT is on April 25th. That's a Saturday. You can always email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Please send us your selfies. Leave a review on iTunes. That's always very helpful, good or bad. And please write a note. Tell us what you think. Also, just a quick announcement here. I'm still looking for a teacher in D.C. Uh, several people have applied, and I appreciate that. But things didn't um, quite work. <laughs> None of you work. are good. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a better applicant. <laughs> uh, some of it is, uh, you know, coordinating expectations. Because I really want people to be here for the long haul, you know, at least a couple years. So some of that doesn't always work out for people. But if you plan to be in the D.C. area for a while, you did very well on the LSAT, you understand how Nathan and I teach the games in particular, I would love to hear from you. So email me at jobs at strategyprep.com. Ideally, someone with no plans of going to law school. Yes, yes. Please have plans. But you did to... take the LSAT, <laughs> but you've decided not to go to law school. That's perfect. That would be ideal. Thank you. It's also better for you. Not you, Ben, yes, but you. The listener. The listener yeah. who is planning to work with Ben and potentially build a career teaching LSAT, which I promise you is a better career than being a lawyer. There you go. I couldn't say it better myself. Thank you, Nathan. That's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. No, that's good. Okay. Pearls versus turds. So we don't have that many pearls out there. We've only seen six, supposedly. We've seen 28 turds and 14 ties. So, <laughs> again, questionable things. I guess we take our attitude about the test in general, this is bullshit, into these pearls versus turds, right? There's certainly a um, skepticism that we use as we approach these suggestions and life i mean yeah. if you're gonna be uh, just there's so much bullshit out there you know 99 percent of everything that every political candidate says for example yeah just you got to be you just got to be a critical thinker so yeah when you're getting all these supposed you know genius tips about the lsat um, most of them you know when they sound too good to be true yeah they're just turds that's why they're turds. So yeah, do you want to tackle this one? Sure. Okay. This came in from a listener who heard this advice on another podcast. I don't know what we're referring to here, but it's about guessing 
and it says how to guess in the last five minutes from alleged extensive research that was done. Whoa. And it says the answer choices are not random. So you can have more than a 20% chance of getting the answers correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Oh God, it's this shit (laughs) for LR and RC. The most common answer choice is D, but for logic games, the most common answer choice is B. But okay, <laughs> so <laughs> keep track of that. You guys got that. <laughs> but hold on, though, not so fast because in the last five questions, the answer choices change. So on logical reasoning, it's actually E, and on reading comp, it's actually B, and on games, it's oh my actually God, A. I can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait. So then, the first thing you just throw that away because now what we really care about is the last five. Yeah, right? sure. And yeah. Sometimes we're guessing on more than the last five, but I would think most people are doing most of their guessing on the last five. So okay, so hold on. So scratch all that first thing, and you have to remember the new letters okay. again. It's E for logical reasoning, B for reading comp, and A for logic games. Okay. Okay. But then the same podcast apparently is giving the advice as you go through the section. Keep note of what answer choices you're picking (laughs) so that during an LR section, for example, if you have chosen already a lot of E's, then you don't put E for the last five. Instead, you change to a different letter like D or A. Wait, wait, hold on. Maybe you should go back to D since that's the most common general answer for LR and RC. Oh, dear. That was a joke, by the way. Please don't take me seriously. (laughs) This this is going straight in the turd pile. I have so many problems with this advice. The first thing is that if you did do extensive research, the only extensive research you could have done is just like data on the, on the old tests, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no reason why they won't just change this going forward Mm -hmm. for one. Yeah. So even if you do know that historically, you know, instead of 20% ease, it's 22% ease. They could always change that. For, that's one reason why this is a turd. Yeah. Another reason why it's a turd is that it only microscopically changes your expectation anyway. Yeah. We're not talking. Right? <clears throat> yeah. We're going from a 20% chance of the answer being D to maybe 22 or 21. Dude, I mean, I don't. Even if it, let's give them way too much credit and say that it was 30%. Okay. 30%. Okay. Mm -hmm. How much have you improved your score? If you improve your guesses instead of the 20% chance that we would expect, if you increase that to a 30% chance, how much have you improved your score? If you guess on five questions, uh, if you're guessing, yeah, if you're guessing on five questions, if you have yep. a 20% chance of getting those correct, you're going to we'll just get do the one, Delta. Right? You've improved it by 10%. Yeah. And now it's still one. You're going to get point, point one <laughs> question per question more. So on five guesses, you would have improved your expectation by one half of one point. Yes. And that's giving them way too much credit. Yeah. <laughs> that you're actually able to know which letter is the right one and that that is actually a 30% chance instead of a 20% chance, which it's not. But even if it were, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if this never changed and you were able to do it perfectly and it was much more dramatic an effect than it actually is, you would still get one half of a question more out of five guesses. So, so far your argument has been focusing on how the benefits are minimal or non-existent. <laughs> yes, I can't wait to hear what, what you're going to say next, because I could have started yelling about this too, but I'll let you do yeah, it. Yeah, so there's also the negative consequences of taking the time to figure this all out. <laughs> one simple one is, and this is awful, I would hate for people to be debating between two letters or three and then somehow let the thought that the answer is more likely to be E to come in there and bias their analysis and distract them from thinking about what the hell is actually going on. There's so many better things you could be thinking about. Like, for example, the question type and the answer choice strength. Yeah. If all else is equal. Yeah, and really, as you get better at this test and logical reasoning, you know, people at the beginning, I feel like they think that logical reasoning and reading comp is more subjective. They're like, oh, huh, yeah, okay, B is correct. I chose C. Um, I could see why someone else or the LSAC or the test writers would think that B is better. But, you know, it's just kind of a matter of opinion. As you get better, you start to realize, no, there is there are concrete reasons why things are right or wrong. And when you're debating between two answers, it usually means that you're just missing one word or phrase. And once you see that word or phrase, you're like, oh, this isn't a debate anymore. This answer is hands down better and 100% correct. Um, so debating between two answer choices can be a a blessing. It can be like, hey, wake up. You miss something, dig a little deeper, figure it out. Uh, but if you start bringing this stuff in, then it becomes like, oh, well, I was down to 50-50 and I chose this one or you let it affect you in any way. I just don't like that at all. Dude, keep track of the answers you've picked so far. That is another time sink distraction. You know, how many people, the LSAT frequently gives you four E's in a row or four yeah. B's in a row. And people yeah. are like questioning number four. They're like, oh wait, I just did E for the last three. Is this going to be E two? This is just going to magnify that tenfold. People are going to be like, whoa, hyper aware of what they're doing in terms of answer choices, and then start making stupid decisions. No. There's so this many problems This is something that, that we specifically tell people not to worry about. Yeah. I mean... It's it's nice now that we're on digital instead of on Scantrons. Yep. In the Scantron days, students could just easily see, oh shit, I've picked four E's in a row yeah. and start worrying about it, at which point I would have to correct them and say, listen, sometimes they put five E's in a row. Also, how do you know you got all four of those previous E's right? Yeah, 100%. One of them might have been D, but you don't know which one. So basically, stop thinking about that and just work on the question that you're supposed to be working on. Yep. With digital, we don't have that anymore because you can't see your old answers without going back to the old questions. And they're which, suggesting that's a to blessing. bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> they're actually suggesting to go, yeah, they, they want you to keep track of that. Apparently, I, I don't know, unless we're misunderstanding this tip, this seems like straight to the turd pile straight to the turd pile and if we could have like a 
smelly turd pile, this would be it, right? This is like a hard no, a bad, bad, bad. Some things were like no because we're like, yeah, this isn't going to help you. This is not only not going to help you, this is going to hurt you. Uh, so stay away. This is just the perfect example of a fucking gimmick. Instead of thinking about actually understanding the content of the test, it's a it's like a, a shortcut gimmick that you know, even if we gave them all of the credit that this was actually going to work, it's still going to only improve your score by half a question when you could have spent all that time and, indis- and, and energy just getting another question right. Well, and even that half a question improvement <laughs> is assuming that there was no loss yeah. from taking the time yeah. to write things down getting distracted by this thought process, all that. Yeah. So this is an example of where the upside is extremely limited. Mm -hmm. The downside is like unlimited. (laughs) I mean, because students do it all the time. Students will be like on question number five and they'll be like, well, I already picked C three times. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. This one can't possibly be C. (laughs) (laughs) It's random, right? Like it's pretty random. So, dude, you need to answer the question. <laughs> There's like one even credible answer here, and four garbage answers. And all you got to do is just answer, like, understand the question and answer it correctly. I don't, you know, if you're LSAT teacher, tutor, podcaster, if they're ever talking about anything other than actually understanding, I, I think you need to find a different guru. Like the test makes perfect sense. Yeah. And uh, our job is to help you understand how it makes perfect sense. That's it. We're not, I'm not, I'm not talking about gimmicky bullshit. We're talking about like actually getting to understanding. If anyone explains this to you in your class, one non-confrontational way to address it is to raise your hand and simply ask, are there any downsides to following this strategy and see what they say? <laughs> They're just going to go, nope. Nope. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't possibly imagine what downside there could be from keeping track of all your answers and then counting up how many E's you had. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine like, right. people, too, being stuck between, like, well, I had a bunch of E's and a bunch of D's. Ooh, I had 13 I Totally. Oh I, this gosh. is exactly what people would do. I mean, this is not anything that I would ever have done. But I just, I've worked with thousands of students over, you know, a decade plus of teaching LSAT. And I know all of the broken ways that people think about this stuff. This is, this tip is like encouraging people to do exactly the wrong thing. Yeah. So this is, I agree. There should be a special turd pile. This is, this goes into the turd dunce corner. Mm. This turd, this needs to put on a dunce cap and go in the corner of the turd pile. (laughs) Cool. Well, thanks for uh, sending that in. If you have pearls versus turds, you can send them into the show. Help at thinkinglsat.com. Love to love to get some some more tips. And you know, I mean, we're open to the possibility that there can actually be good tips out there. So send them in, please. Yep. Help at thinkinglsat.com. All right. Cool. Go ahead. Yeah. Thank you. Hey guys, as I approach week two of studying, I had a few questions that I've been wanting to ask. Okay. Number one. What's the best way to approach the three types of sections you will face? Trying to learn and master them together or mastering one and then moving on to the next one? Oh, that's easy. What do you think? I 
encourage people to do a balanced approach where they move fairly fluidly between the three types of sections. Yeah. One big reason is that you're not going to master any of the three nope. sections anyway. Nope. I mean, some people at some point will master logic games. Yeah. Some people might start with reading comp that's so strong that it's as if you have mastered it already before you even started because you're just like a really good reader. But <clears throat> most people are going to, you know, start in the 140s or 150s and they're going to have room for improvement in all three sections and they're never going to really master any of the three sections. Yeah. So in fact, this approach of taking one section at a time is something that I don't know about you, Ben, but I have, I see it most often in my very worst students. Yeah. This seems to be a thing that people want to do when they're really, really struggling with the test. Yeah. They're like, Oh, well I'll just master the, logical reasoning and it's like uh, but you're getting like eight correct per section like you're not you're never going to master this yeah i would think of it as like preparing for a triathlon right triathlon you have to do running swimming and um (laughs) biking i was like "What what do you have to do uh in any case, it'd be weird to just be like, okay, for the I have three months to prepare for this triathlon. For <laughs> one month of swimming, <laughs> yeah. one month of running, one month of biking. It's also like I think that analogy, although it obviously has some problems, it's also got a, a good thing about that. Can you imagine just like swimming every day? Right? It would be so much right. more effective for you to swim one day and then run the next because you're using different muscles. The same is true for like even in class, when I'm doing stuff with people, like they might do, like if we just did reading comp the whole time, we could do it. But doing a game or a section of games is kind of like a mental break from all that reading. Yeah. So you can get more done when you kind of shake it up and move from yeah. one thing to the next. Yeah. Well, and part of the actual performance of the test day is that thing where, okay, section one, here we go, start. And you don't even know what section it's going to be. Nope. Yeah. And so if you're like, oh no, I'm just doing reading comp this month. Well, then you're never dealing with that. You know, even if it's only a moment, it's about your like mojo, right? Where you, you kind of start off balance Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. You have to find your footing in at least figure out what type of section it is and get moving. Yeah. And so if you're going to just do the same thing every day, you're not, you're not practicing that. It's very similar to the people who just do, Oh, I'm only going to do must be true questions Yeah. in logical reasoning. It's like, well, yeah, the demon is designed so that you can filter it down to just must be trues if you want, but you should do that for like one study section one study session max. And then you should turn off that filter because the, the game in logical reasoning, a lot of it is figuring out what, you know, just going from one type to the other type to the other type yeah, and identifying those types. So if you're just focusing too much on any one section or on any one type, then, you know, you're, there's half of the game that you're just not even doing. Yeah. Well, so that remind that, that discussion reminds me of the company that shall not be named, but they, they're obsessive about giving people like hundreds of must be true questions back to back. And that's your homework. <laughs> and it's just like, 
Okay. There might be some value with that doing it for a day, like you're saying, to sort of say, oh, okay, I get what they're saying when they say well, must be true. Well, if you super true. suck at necessary assumption questions. Yeah. Yeah. Or you super suck at must be true questions. I can see how it's like, well, you're not used to, you got to get in the mo in the, like the mode of doing this mm-hmm. so that you really drills into you so that you understand what type of question, but oh my God, hundreds in a row. Yeah. No way. And and you got to get you got to avoid a potential trap here. When I was uh on this kick about reading books about learning, we talked about this a while ago, but um people when they study just one question type, they do make progress faster in that question type. That progress by the way is is deceptive though because it, like you said, it's not what's going to be on test day. So then when you go to this testing environment where you're changing up question types or changing up section types, you're like, whoa, you get thrown off. So you're not as far along as you thought you were. And you actually don't learn as much about that question type as you would if you were going back and forth. This is why like a lot of times when I teach necessary assumption questions, I teach it alongside sufficient assumption because seeing the two next to each other helps people recognize what is actually a necessary assumption question. And so you're losing that, but people like to see that progress, the dopamine that comes from it. So they're very tempted to do this sort of thing, but it's the only thing you'd want to do for like a day and then quickly go back to jumping things around. And if you never do it, that's totally fine. Totally fine. That's the default approach. Don't, target anything unless you know that you're like just confused about what a necessary assumption even is. Even then though, I'd probably suggest doing necessary assumption and sufficient assumption together. Right. All right. So our answer is don't try to master one type of section or one. Yeah, no, just keep it balanced. I mean, if you do two tests per week, you know, you're going to do a couple sections of games, a couple sections of RC, four sections of LR. That's great. And that's like about roughly perfect, right? Yeah, because you should be spending more time should be doing. on LR anyway, because it's half the test. And so. Yeah, which brings us to the next question. Okay. What would be the most important section to master? I'm guessing LR since it makes up half the test. Okay. I mean, I, I think. What we were trying to say earlier is all of them, but if if I had to be pushed to answer a question, I would say LR because I think it is half the test and it's going to help you become a better reader and which would help you with reading comp. But um, yeah, I would still just go after all three. The problem with that is that most people have more ground that needs to be covered in the games. Yeah. And games is also the section where you know, if you were going to ever quote master a section, it would probably be the games. Yeah. I mean, that's the section where people end up knowing that they're going to score perfectly or, you know, expecting to score perfectly is the games. Yeah. So if there was one most important section to master, I would say it's yeah. LR because it's half the test, but games, because you might be able to get half your improvement from just that one section. Yeah. Yep. Next question. Any tips on how long I should prepare? I plan on taking the test in September. Okay. It's it's uh, February right now. And my goal is a 170. It may take you that long to get a 170. I have no idea where you're scoring. Um, I don't know what you're struggling with, whether that's games, which would be easier to improve than, say, reading comp, as Nathan was just saying. Um, <laughs> that sounds far away, though, to me. 
This is a fairly naive question, or I mean, I think it's a very common <clears throat> question. Yeah, but it's asked most often by naive students. Um, the answer is it depends. It's totally different, wildly different for everybody. Yeah. I was talking about my buddy Mike on the last show who showed up and scored a cold 164 or whatever it was. Yeah. If Mike's goal was a 170, he would probably have been able to make it in, in a month. Yeah. L- less than a month, you know? I mean, he. I think his 164, by the way, was like shitty games. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, I'm almost sure it was shitty games. So with Mike, it would have been like, dude, let's just work on the games for a month and you'll probably score 170-something. No problem. Yeah. For other students, I'm sorry, I hate to break it to you, but there are some people who are never going to make it to 170 no matter how long they study. Yeah. <clears throat> 170 is the 97th, 98th percentile. Yep. Sorry, but we're not all in the top 2% of test takers. Yeah. And so... <laughs> we're not all a special the, snowflake, unfortunately. No, we're, we're not. So without knowing where you started, without knowing what your weaknesses are, I have no idea. I have no idea. I, I really can't tell you how long you should prepare. Yeah. Also, just even having this goal of 170, I mean, <clears throat> for one, it might be unattainable, but for two, it might be less than what you're capable of. Like Mike with his cold 164, if he would have come in like, oh, I just want to get 170, I would have been like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? You should get a 175. Yeah. That would be lame. (laughs) That would be like, you're not a lawyer already because you've decided to settle for a a 170 when you could have gotten a 175. I mean, you need, I don't care who you are. You need every point you can possibly get. Yeah. I mean, each one of these points is worth like 10 grand (laughs) or more. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, 10 grand worth of just scholarships at the beginning of the process. Yeah. Who knows what the value is for your career? That's what I was telling my class last night. I said, this is your best opportunity to make money right now. I can't imagine anyone being able to make more than $100,000 in the next two months. But you can do that depending on what you do in this class. And it has the magnifying effect on your entire career earnings. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to start at, if you start at a, not to mention the time value of money on the tuition that you might not have to pay. Yeah. And not to mention the time value of money on the stipends that you might get. Yeah. But the the fact that you start at a slightly better school gets you a slightly better summer job, gets you a slightly better first job out of law school, puts your career on an entirely different track. And so, yeah, this is, you know, (laughs) how long should you prepare? I don't know. As long as it takes though, because you should be, your goal should be, I'm going to reach my maximum potential on this test. Yeah. Whatever that is. Yep. And however long that takes. I, I don't think, you know, it's extremely rare that someone can do it in just a month. Two or three months seems to be kind of the, the minimum for most people. Yep. To, to where we start to feel comfortable that like, okay, you know, maybe you've reached your potential or at least you've gotten all the low hanging fruit mm-hmm. yeah, and it's going to be really hard to improve more from here. Yeah. I think two or three months is kind of the minimum. Yeah. Many, many students are still improving six months later. Yep. 
and some students are still improving a year later. Yeah. So I don't know. I can't, and everybody, I understand, I guess the human nature of people wanting this advice. It would be nice if we could just give you the blanket advice, but you know, we just can't. Yeah. Anonymous concludes. Thanks guys. Exclamation point. Thank you. Yeah, and sorry if it felt like I was lecturing you for at, for asking the question. It, it, it's, um, I'm not. I mean, I, I'm I'm just <laughs> making. I'm trying to make it as clear as possible that this is a question that people want. They everybody wants this answered. I just don't think anybody can actually give you a real answer. Yeah, two or three months minimum. Reconsider whether 170 is actually too high or too low. I just don't even like it when people have specific scores in mind. I don't, I don't, I think that can either be frustrating because it's a number you're never going to reach or limiting because it's a number that's too low. Mm -hmm. And I just, I'd rather you, you know, what's your baseline? What are you going to learn today so that you're a little bit better tomorrow? And then just do that as long as possible. Yeah or uh, not as long as possible, as long as it takes to where you feel like you're, you know, the wheels are slipping and you're not, you're not making any more forward progress. Yeah. When we see students who have taken it seven times or whatever, after a year, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, okay, you know, (laughs) you've given it a damn good effort and you've improved a lot and okay, maybe that is time to wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you. Good stuff for everybody to hear. You want to take this? Yeah. Yeah. I think those were useful. Yeah. Okay. So this is from anonymous. Mm -hmm. Um, and it says Nathan and Ben long time. No talk. I'm still listening to y'all occasionally, despite now having only a few topics of discussion that are relevant to me. I've been offered a handful of scholarships. One offer is full tuition exclamation point after applying to about 15 schools. I will send scholarship details once my negotiations are complete. This is from a former demon student, longtime correspondent of the show. Ended up with a high LSAT of 166. What is that, Ben? Like 90th, 92nd percentile, something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so fine LSAT score and a 3-point for uh, 3.5 undergraduate GPA. Okay. By the way, some advice on what to say to schools when negotiating would be super helpful. After looking at Reddit and Google, there isn't much guidance on what to actually say. How much detail of dollar amounts do we need to address? Cost of living, just tuition, just your first year or all years. Some schools lower their scholarships. If you switch to resident status as a 2L or 3L, do we need to show bottom line numbers? Should we attach a copy of our offer from the other schools? Looks like that may be a normal procedure, although to me, it feels odd. Hmm. Anyway, now that I'm officially in the post-application process, I'm ready for you to read and most likely crush my personal statement. I'm already embarrassed rereading my last paragraph several months after I wrote it. Give it a rip. (laughs) So here's what we got. This is from anonymous. We've got the personal statement. Mm -hmm. We've got the spreadsheets that she's been building to track her application process. We're not going to give the specifics of these offers, 
but we are going to give, uh, we're just going to talk about, I mean, these are awesome spreadsheets that she's built. She applied to a shit ton of schools. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a real good start to your negotiations. <laughs> yeah. Cause you that's don't like know going what's going to come back and who's going to, that's like going you. to 20 car dealerships. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of work. You learn a lot but, though. Yeah. And you just put yourself in such a better position. So, you know, you've already won anonymous. You've already won this negotiation by doing it this way. You applied early, you applied broadly, you applied with good numbers. There's no way this isn't going to work out. And she already, she says she already has a full ride in, in hand. So, you know, she has the option to not pay for law school. Dude, speaking of car dealerships, I'm sorry for this tangent, but I just went no, through this it. whole process to buy uh, an SUV because I need like more space for all my kids. And I was shocked. I was literally shocked by the difference in quality of all the SUVs out there. I tried like Kias, uh, Chevys, uh, Traverse. I tried the Honda Pilot. I tried uh, the Tahoe, um, Ford's Explorer. I, I tried so many different cars and so many of them just rode really poorly. And then sometimes you had cars where it's like, okay, in my head, I have this like hierarchy of cars, right? And right now at the top is the pilot. And it's like, okay, this car is, is, is the best one of the ones that we tried. And it's cheaper than some of these others. Like it's just mind boggling. Like if you only go to two or three dealerships and you're looking at these prices and you're comparing those cars and you haven't like tried that fourth car or that fifth car, like I just was sitting there. I'm like, I don't understand. This car is better hands down and it's cheaper out of the box. Like it just doesn't make sense. And then you're like, well, I guess that's why some cars are just like, dominating the road and you just see them all over the place and others are just you know kind of there yeah i mean honda is a good honda is a good car maker yeah there's a reason why the civic was like the number one car on the road for a bazillion years yeah whatever it was cheaper and better than you know it's competing class whatever the other cars in its class for a long time well, I just kept feeling like, oh, I'm going to just have to pay a little bit more to get something a little bit better. And there obviously is some connection with how much you pay and so on. But it's funny, too, because a lot of these prices are just based on, like, luxury. Like, sometimes we went up to these, like, luxury vehicles, and they're, like, $20,000 more. And you're like, holy fuck. But you're like, in terms of quality, sometimes the quality is is – it's always better. Well, not always, actually. There's some, like, luxury cars It's like, wait. I would be paying premium for this and it's not any better. The point of this long story is I was shocked. I thought it would, the market would be much more like just evenly stratified. Like you pay Mm. five grand more and you're going to, yeah, okay. It makes sense. This car's a little bit better. It's got another safety feature. It seems to ride a little smoother. It was not like that at all. There was definitely cars where it's like you're paying more and it's worse. And I'm just like, I don't know what the hell is going on here, but people just go, I guess, and they don't go anywhere else. If you apply to like a handful of schools or even worse, three, (laughs) right? You're just, you're substantially narrowing your view as to what is out there. I mean, we hear people all the time who apply to, you know, a dozen schools, 15 schools, and you have higher ranked schools that 
are rejecting them. And then you have an even higher rank school that's waitlisted them or put them or accepted them. And you're like, wait, what? Like you were accepted by this school, but you were rejected by these lower schools. Now that could be because the lower schools are worried you're not going to come. But a lot of times it's just like a surprise. You're like, they should be accepting you if this other school is accepting you despite your low numbers, at least for that school. But hey, they accepted you. Cornell has said yes. Like, what are you going to do with that? Maybe you have to go for full price and you don't want to do that and it's not worth it. I don't know. But you just get these random things that come into your lap and you're like, damn, if I had just applied to a few schools, I would not know about this or be able to use this as leverage to apply to other schools. Yeah, well, we've gotten, I mean, I've heard just recently, I forget who I was talking to. Oh, it was, it might have been, well, I'm going to unnamed because I can see the schools thinking this is slightly shady. But some school sends you a fee waiver, unsolicited fee waiver, and you're like, yeah, whatever, throw in the application. Yep. Month later, they admit you with a scholarship offer, and oh, by the way, they also want to fly you out to go visit the school. Yeah. You have no intention of going to the school, but there are other schools in that city that you want to go to. Sure. So, so you fly out and you, you schedule. let them fly you out there, put you up in a hotel. You go see their school. Of course. Yeah. They've offered you a scholarship. Why not go look at their school? But also while you're there, see your friends and, you know, <laughs> go to other schools. And I mean, why not? Yeah. That's the type of shit that happens when you apply broadly. It just does not happen. If you only apply to a couple schools, the law schools would love it. If you only apply to a couple schools, yeah. they would love it. If you only applied to their school. Yep. <laughs> Hundred <laughs> percent. That's a just like the car dealer would love it if that's the only car dealership, you know, you're ever gonna just go to one dealer. I'm buying my car from you. Yeah, they love it when you do that. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why you should not do that. Yeah. All right. Um, personal statement. You want me to read it? Uh, sure. Go for it. I touched down at the Philadelphia airport during the final negotiations of our magazines multi-million dollar printing contract okay i like that it has some facts and we're starting to learn more about this applicant but i like that the subject is i i like the subject is i i'd prefer something better than touched down well it's not like she's landing the airplane yeah so you know it's like it's this cinematic how many stupid movies start <laughs> with an airplane landing, you know, and that sound of the tires. Hitting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, okay. I, I, I get it. But Hey, apparently, you know, it's like one sentence says a lot. It does say a lot. Apparently, if I'm understanding correctly, you know, she's flying somewhere on business. Yes. That's a good start. <laughs> Someone's willing <laughs> to just, pay money to ship you around. You must be worth something. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. It's just that says a lot, and and it's it's also something that a lot of the twenty one year olds. She's a non traditional uh, uh, applicant. Okay, she thinks she's like an old lady because she's in her late twenties, but she's or maybe she's thirty, whatever. But she's she's not. You know, she's a few years older than the typical applicant. Yep. Not significantly older, but a few years older, but she's had some life experience and she is demonstrating that right off the bat here. Mm -hmm. It's clear that she's flying somewhere on business, helping to negotiate apparently 
some multi-million dollar contract. Yeah. That's this sounds to me like a successful business person. Mm-hmm. Which successful business person is what I'm looking for in a lawyer. Yep. That's what I want. I mean, largely, you know, everybody thinks they're going to go fight for social justice or whatever, but mm-hmm. m- most lawyers are doing business. Yeah. So, you know, like this just she's I don't know, already I'm I'm liking it. Yeah. Do you want to give her some tips on how to make it better? Yeah, so to clarify, <laughs> I guess when we criticize these sentences, it might help to say whether it's an A, B, C, D, or F sentence, right? Like, this is an A sentence that could be made better, or A minus, you know, maybe an A, A minus. We deal with some sentences that are straight up Fs, right? Just like, this is not helping in any way, shape, or form. This is helping quite a bit. Like you said, it's telling us things about her. We know a lot about her in just one sentence. I would. This is a small thing. This is to go from an A minus to an A or an A to an A plus. I would actually drop the word printing. So it says, um, I touched down at the Philadelphia airport during the final negotiations of our magazine's multi-million dollar printing contract. I would just say, so the problem is, is you have a lot of nouns struck strewn together and as such, it kind of slows the reading down and makes it a little harder to just like visualize. I don't really care whether it's a printing contract or a contract. The more important point here is that it's a multi-million dollar one. I also would consider rephrasing final negotiations because that's a noun to like negotiating. Um, That would not only make it shorter, but it would also, again, make it a little more punchier and stick out a little bit more. So... There's no such thing as done. There's no such thing as perfect. Yeah. If we were working with anonymous as a client for a personal statement service, we would do multiple rounds on this, you know, multiple different revisions going back and forth on it. Yeah. To tell it sounded, you know, as good as we could possibly make it sound. But I agree that this is already an a minus. I mean, this is not the first thing that I would be looking to change. Yeah. Okay. I was visiting a potential plant M dash who also prints for time magazine M dash to tour the facility and discuss their proposal. Hmm. This is not good. Um, no, because although it's a, a concise sentence, it's clear. And some, on some level you're making a big grammar mistake here. Yep. And so that's going to take an a sentence and jam it down to like a B or a C. Because also it's like, whoa, you don't catch what you're doing here. So you said, I was visiting a potential plant. A plant is a thing. So you can't say who. You'd have to say that. And then to tour the facility and discuss their proposal, who are you referring to? The plant's proposal? The people at the plant? I don't know what's going on. That's not a B or a C for me. That's a D <laughs> or an F for me. I was this trying to raise this... it up because the sentence is like nope. clear. I like that level. it's short. Yeah. And I don't mind the little M dash parenthetical. Yeah. I mean, I abuse M dashes, but I, when you say I was visiting a potential plant who, mm, this is I'm bad, just like, bad, bad. <laughs> uh, that's, that's like, <laughs> That's almost a critical fail. Like if yeah. you if you were um, if you were already on the bubble, and I read that, 
you know, it just looks, it's, it's one of two things. It's either lazy or you just didn't catch it. Yeah. You don't know it. If you, if you didn't review it enough to, to catch it, then it's lazy. I, I don't want a lazy lawyer. If you did review it a million times, but you just didn't catch it because you don't naturally catch that sort of thing. Well, then that's not the lawyer that I want either. Yeah. So it's just these, it's a small thing. And I'm, I'm actually, I'm definitely not saying that I don't want anonymous as a lawyer because I actually do. But the, the picture she's painting with this personal statement now is making me think that either she's lazy or just not that great of a writer. And that's a problem. That's not what we want. Yeah. Lawyers so, are professional yeah. writers. They- yeah. Yeah. And, and extremely part of being a professional writer is to be extremely diligent about double checking your shit. Yeah. So, you know, it's like anonymous just could have used some help here mm-hmm. to avoid that mistake. Uh, anyway, third sentence, I had arrived with resolve colon our current printers contract was expiring and I was responsible for selecting a new printer and establishing the terms of our contract. Uh, I would get rid of the first part of that sentence. Totally. Because I don't even know what it means. Yeah. I had arrived with resolve resolve. What? I mean, you, you have a job to do. It sounds like. Yeah. Sorry, I have to look up resolve now. Resolve. Like commitment. As right? a noun. Determination. It's a firm determination to do something. Yeah. But but you're telling, though. It's telling. Right? It's all telling. It's te- that's a noun that's used as a, as, a, as a telling, basically. You're telling me how firm your commitment was. What's your firm commitment? My firm commitment to, like, do my job? Which is apparent. We already know. I mean, in the first sentence, I knew you were there to negotiate a contract. Yeah. Now you're telling me that the contract's response is expiring and you have to select a new printer, which I already knew because you're visiting a p- potential plant to tour the facility. Mm-hmm. So I, so you're telling me stuff I already know. And then you're telling me, oh, and you also have to establish the terms of the contract. Well, we knew you were negotiating the contract. So it's like this, I can't the whole sentence just go. Yeah. It's, it seems like or, heavy handed. I don't know. In, incorporate some of this earlier on, right? Like you could have said, I touched down at the Philadelphia airport to finish negotiating our magazine's multi-million dollar contract with a new printer. Like if you really want to make that clear, it's like, Oh, Okay. That's fine, but then like let's just get into the negotiation. I, I Yeah. There's too much meandering here. And then it gets it's going to get worse here, I'm it's sorry getting, to say. Yeah. Yeah. It says, "Was I on a fast path to law school?" question mark. the readers like, "What? Huh? huh? What?" <laughs> it's like detour. <laughs> Sounds like you're listening to the podcast like random tangent. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. It's well, I mean, we we know you're applying to law school now. Yeah. So why do we care about this weird rhetorical about whether you were on a fast path? Like, no, tell me about negotiating the contract. I'm here to learn about you. Yeah. You like 
questioning whether you were on a path to law school at the time <laughs> is not material. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't care whether you were or weren't on a fast path to law school at that time. Yep. <laughs> I know you're applying now. What skills anyway, n- do you have and can yeah. you illustrate them with this negotiation? Wait, what are you bringing to the table? And you're not showing me anything now. You're, you're not advocating for yourself. Yeah. You know, the, this is meant to be a sales pitch for you as a potential law student and lawyer. You're supposed to be advocating. You're supposed to be showing your best features. And now instead you're a rhetorical question about whether you were on a path. Uh, what? Anyway, it goes on. Not quite yet. My college roommate would soon graduate from law school, and she insisted it was perfect for me. We don't care. We don't care what your college roommate, even if she's a law school graduate or 3L, thinks of your prospects or potential for law school. That's what the law schools are going to decide based on what you show them, not on what you tell them other people think. Yeah. We got a bunch of D sentences F sentences in a row here. Well, just this is now. It's not the writing. It's just that the. It's just the bad ideas. It's yeah. just like this is not the topic. Yeah, you should, all of this would have gotten left on the cutting room floor if we were working on it. I think I know what it is. I think she's protesting too much. She's self conscious about being thirty, or whatever she is, mm. and she's. I think that. I think students mistakenly think or applicants mistakenly think that they're too old now and that they need to try to like retell or like reinvent the story so that it's like I was always on this inevitable path toward law school. Hmm. We've seen that, Ben. We've seen that in like specifically in clients we've worked with. Yeah. We've seen people that are like really overselling the idea of I've always been on this path, you know, whether it looks like it or not. Yeah. I was always on this path. I don't care that you were always on the path. In fact, it's fine if you were on some other different path, you're on this path now. So let's hear about what's up now. Like, what are you bringing to my law school? Another way of thinking about this is once you become an attorney, would you say this to potential clients to get them to work with you. My college roommate (laughs) always thought I was like, law school is perfect for me. Like, okay. It's it's tragic really because she has the opportunity to just present herself as a professional person. And instead she's telling me about her college roommate, which makes her look like a kid. Yeah. But we don't want you to look like a kid. We want you to look like a grown up. Yeah. So your college roommates telling you how perfect it is for you. Okay. <laughs> That's the last thing I want to hear about. But I already had what I then considered to be my dream job. Another colon. Publishing a Southern culinary magazine in a tourist city, bustling with restaurants, popping up daily in a region bolstered by famed chefs. Way too much. For me, that's the worst sentence you've written so far. That's that's just now straight F. Can talk talk a little bit, Ben, about colons and what colons are supposed to be for? Yeah. So one way to think about a colon is to think of it as an equal sign. So whatever comes before it is equaling whatever comes after it. 
uh, people like make a big mistake when they say something like, my job had a lot of responsibilities, including colon. You can't do that because including is a verb. You'd have to technically say including the following colon, and then you list the following things that are included in your job or whatever. Here she says, but I already had what I then considered to be my dream job, colon. So what is her dream job? Is it equal to this? Publishing a culinary, a Southern culinary magazine in a tourist city, blah, blah, blah. Um, I guess so. I guess so. So I think it's technically correct. I just really hate all the modifications, all the um, adjective phrases that she adds on here. It's just like she's trying too hard to be like, this is amazing. Yeah, and it's the second colon that she's used in like four Yeah, sentences, that's which weird is- too. You really don't want to overuse these symbols. They, the actual, the, the point of them is to draw attention to something, right? And because it's different, it's different than the normal period or whatnot. So when you use so a what semicolon, are you trying to, yeah, yeah, what are you drawing already, attention to here? You've already used the m dashes, yep, in your second sentence, and then now in your third sentence and your seventh sentence, you're using colons in both of those. It just feels overwritten. Yes, you're you're yelling too much. I mean, it's kind of a weird analogy, but. You're trying to use punctuation in a way to highlight things and, and, and throw in that rhetorical question. Rhetorical questions are another like writing technique to get the reader to pop out of whatever sort of normal reading path they're in. But the problem with these things is you don't want to use them unless it's like really called for. <laughs> it's you're writing too hard. Yeah. It's like, can you see how hard I'm writing? I'm writing as hard as I possibly can. And it's like, no, we want it to feel effortless. Like we don't Mm want to, we don't need to, we don't have to constantly have our attention drawn to you as writer. We're wanting to learn about you as applicant. And the best way for to make us think that you're a good writer is for us to not even notice that you're there. Yeah. We're most impressed by writing that is invisible, that, that it allows for the story to come out because you're not distracted by the form that the story is presented in. Yep. This sentence, um, the thing that we <laughs> we're burying the lead here, Ben keeps trying to get back to it, but a tourist city bustling with restaurants popping up daily. And then I really hate, it like was biting on tinfoil the use of bolstered here (laughs) in a region bolstered by famed chefs. I just don't even think that that's a proper use of bolstered. (laughs) Like how's the region bolstered? I guess like the economy is bolstered. I, the region is, I mean, bolstered provided with padded support. Oh, I didn't actually, that's interesting bolstered is is referring to padding most never nobody ever uses it that way but you know your seats ben in the cars you're shopping for those seats are bolstered Mm -hmm. and that's like what the word literally means and so now you're saying that the region is 
padded by famed chefs i guess you know in that context i guess it kind of makes sense it's just annoying it's just like you should never have more than three phrases and three is a lot by the way <laughs> modifying your initial term so the initial term here is publishing a southern culinary magazine and then here's first modification in a tourist city second modification bustling with restaurants which re that modifies the city now that modifies the city popping yep. up daily uh okay that wait. modifies the restaurants the restaurants in a region okay bolstered by famed <laughs> chefs it's like whoa i you know you're just like being tossed around from one modification to the next and it's, yeah it's actually kind of what the elsa likes to do to bury <laughs> an idea yeah and i just real quick we're going to need to get the word count. And I always have to do this. I could have, in all this time that I'm looking to do it automatically, I could have just counted them. But there are 35 words in that sentence, mm. which it's just, you know, it's just, we got to, almost everybody needs to stick to 30. At max, most. Ma That's your maybe 25 sentence. max. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just like anytime I read a real bad sentence, it's just sort of like, well, how many words are there? <laughs> and it's like, yep, there's 30 something. OK, yeah. well, you, you could have just, you know, as a just rule of thumb, just count the words. And just if there's more than 25, you need to be thinking about cutting it down. Yeah. OK, though, I didn't know it then my journey toward law school was already underway. We don't care. Yeah, I just don't care. I also stop painting yourself as naive. Why do people, Ben, insist on trying to make themselves look naive in their own personal statement? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> people go out of their way. They jump through hoops to make to to call out all of the times that they didn't know something or that they had a misconception. Yeah. They, they just, they can't stop themselves. They just, they have to keep putting it in there, but you're just, you're not, I, and I get it that you're like trying to show humility or whatever. Don't, this is not the time for humility. This is the time for facts that make you look like a fucking killer. I agree. And it's this like revisionist history, right? Where it's, it's, it's sort of like, no, I, I, I was, I, I was, I didn't even know it at the time, but I was all always, I've always been on this path toward law school, <laughs> which is like, you don't just, you're overselling it. Just say what you did. You don't, you don't need all this. Yeah. And though my path might have been circuitous, it provided a diverse education. I could not have otherwise acquired. <laughs> telling it's a thing anyone could say it's telling it's apologizing <laughs> i'm sorry it took me so long to get here don't don't apologize for this they should be but i got a diverse education that i could not have otherwise acquired it's like wait what yeah you could have it sounds like you could have any other way you could have acquired this it's just it's it's way too high level it's not talking about facts it's only conclusions <laughs> it's just absolutely telling instead of showing. Yeah. The person who's reading this right now is saying, okay, first sentence. Awesome. 
I'm curious, like, who this person is. It sounds like they've gotten shit done in their life. And they're reading through the first paragraph, and they're going, yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. And so they're actually giving you the benefit of the doubt, I think, solely because of your first sentence. I think your first sentence pushed them through this first paragraph, and they were going, yeah, okay, okay, okay. What, what else? What happened? Tell me about you. Yeah, it's like the first sentence, she, like, showed the gun. Yep. But if you're going to show the gun, well, then now the reader wants the gun to go off. Yep. Like, I, like, let's hear the let's hear about the negotiation. That's awesome. Negotiating is a thing that lawyers do. Yeah. Let's hear about you kicking ass in this negotiation. And instead, it's like this, my college roommate and I was always on a thing and b- b- chefs bolstering a region and a, I'm getting a diverse edge. You're telling me that you're getting a diverse education from your circuitous path. <laughs> my God, get to the facts. Where are the facts about you? Mm hmm. Okay. Next paragraph. Next pair. That was the first paragraph. And I think we could cut it down to like one sentence. Like yep. if you just only would have written the first sentence and then had a paragraph break, I, I think you'd be better off than with all this other stuff. Yeah. You have the potential of losing people in this minefield here. Uh, I would sure. suspect that a bunch of them would just kind of quickly go through it and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're like scanning the good your stuff. statement for like, okay, what else you got here? Yeah. All right. First sentence of the second paragraph says, my time as an operations director at the magazine was an exercise in variety. Okay. Telling. Okay. More (laughs) cut. (laughs) Well, look at the writing here. I mean, this is, this is actually a specific actionable writing tip. If everyone out there wants to get a pencil and paper, you could write down this tip you got to look for instances of the verb to be in your writing and not eliminate all of them, but consider eliminating each one of them because here the verb of the sentence is was that's a form of to be. Yeah. It's just sort of inherently passive and inherently telling. Yep. You're telling me that this was an exercise in variety for one, an exercise in variety. I'm not even sure what that means. You're telling me this conclusion that it was an exercise in variety instead of just showing it to me. The subject of that sentence, Ben is my time as an operations director at the magazine. So it's It's not even word you subject clause. Yeah. So instead of saying I did this, I did that and showing me the exercise in variety, you're just telling me that it was an exercise in variety, which I don't even know what the fuck that's supposed to mean. Yeah. So that's just like, that's the type of sentence right there that just, you don't, that's just not good. You can tell that she's like a strong writer, right? She's not making glaring mistakes. She's got a variety of short sentences and long sentences. She's got a diverse vocabulary. Like there's a lot, to say that's good here, but then there's just a lot to say that's also bad. Well, there's generally two components to writing, right? There's content and style. And she seems very good at style, generally. It's too bad she made that one grammar mistake. It's too bad that she's overusing. And this is probably a symptom of being good at style, overusing colons and so on. But um, yeah, there are a lot of things that she does know. Like she also started a sentence with and, which I have no problem with. 
If you do it well. Now we're going to get everybody writing in sentences. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like when we <laughs> talked about the great use of a semicolon by one yeah. listener one time. Don't do it if it doesn't come naturally. If you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just that sen- that sentence. I, I re- It's really grating. The really long subject clause and yeah. then the verb was. It's yeah. just like, wah, wah. I is your friend. I and an active verb. That's your friend. Um, foodies around the world subscribe to our magazine, and I was determined to uphold its attractive qualities in a new printer. I mean, we get it. You're looking for a good printer. That's not like that lawyerly, right? Like, I... I was I I didn't want a shitty printer for our food magazine. <laughs> I wanted a good printer for our food. It's like, yeah, uh-huh. I wrote a request for proposal and printers across the country submitted bids many the size of a phone book. Okay, <clears throat> now we're time traveling. We're going back to when you sent the request for a proposal out. <laughs> yeah, but you're you're not you didn't put I had written a request for proposal. You just put I wrote a request for proposal. So like the verbs you're using indicate that this is all in the same timeline. Yeah. But it's also clear that you wrote the RFP before you went out to visit a potential printer. Yep. And so then the reader has to put that together for you. And it's just like, why are we go? I don't know. Why are we people? I mean, this is another general thing, but like, if you could just keep your personal statement chronological, I think it's much easier to read that way. Yeah. And when it's easier to read, then you become invisible. Then I think you're a good writer. Yeah. (laughs) But when it's not chronological, then I have to sort it out. And then I think you're a bad writer. Okay, so you're getting these phone book size bids. All right. I created spreadsheets to calculate cost varieties and compare key factors and reviewed the hall of data I assembled with our CEO. Lots of problems there. Yeah. Now, okay, so for the last two sentences, you did start saying, I did X, I wrote, I created. So I like that the content here is starting to come back more in line with showing us what you're doing, um, but we're just not all the way there yet. I an Initial reaction to this, um, it's, a, it's a, a lot of ands here. You created spreadsheets to calculate cost varieties and compare key factors, okay, and reviewed the... I don't know why you're saying the hall of data. Like you're trying to like, oh, so much. But the problem with saying something is so much actually kind of backfires and it just seems like you're trying too hard. I assembled with our CEO. You know, people, I feel like, they feel like they need to tell us when they've done something with somebody else, like fellow attorneys, or not really fellow attorneys, but attorneys at their office or the CEO or their supervisor or something like that. Um, but if you did the work, you don't need to point out that you did it with someone. Um, that just makes me immediately think, okay, well, how much of this did you actually do? Well, it's, it's actually, it's, it's furthermore. Yes, Ben. Yes. And 
Yeah. That's not even what she meant. Yeah, it's the data she assembled. Well, she's reviewing it with the CEO. Yeah. She's basically presenting it to the CEO. Yeah, so this with She phrase. assembled the data. Yeah. But she's got the misplaced, I reviewed the hall of data I assembled with our CEO. It's like, well, wait a minute. Are you reviewing it with the CEO or did you assemble it with the CEO? Exactly. And I accidentally just... Yeah. I just You did read. exactly the thing that you'll do if you write a sentence that way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, I should... Now I'm thinking about it, it's obvious that it's the reviewing is yes. with the CEO, but... The mo- in general, when you have a modifying phrase, the phrase modifies what you just said. And so literally, <laughs> I just kind of read it literally. But anyways. Yeah. But I mean, that's the kind of thing that you have to clean up so that people don't make that mistake. Because when, you know, the, the other thing that would have happened, and here's how I read it, was I read that and then I went, oh, wait, what? But no, you didn't assemble. And so I like reconstructed it for you. Mm-hmm. But I'm if I'm again, you down. If, if I'm reconstructing it for you, then every time I do that, I'm noticing like, oh, that could have been written better. Yep. And then we go into just the real telling. My tendency to thrive when jumping into something new had kicked in. Anyone could say that with no facts. They could just say, hmm. I have a tendency to thrive when jumping <laughs> into something new. And then she's using that as the subject. So the subject of this sentence is my tendency to thrive when jumping into something new. Yep. And then you have a to be verb. The verb is had. Yep. Had what? Oh, it had kicked in. (laughs) (laughs) Cut. Oh, wait, maybe that's not a to be verb. Actually, I don't know. Kicked in? Maybe that is a, is that describing what? It doesn't matter. It's bad. No, it's had. It's past tense to be. Yeah. Had. Had well or had kit whatever, it's just bad. That sentence needs to go. Yeah, I developed traits that would serve me well in a legal career. Colon. Oh no, exhibiting grit and keen analytical skills to determine cost savings, and successfully negotiating crucial price points. Okay, let's stop right here. So here, you're, you're just telling us this, right? So this is bad. You don't want to do this. You want to cut. You need to show. But here, I think you have done something good in the sense that you've identified what you want to show to yeah. the reader. Now, you don't go out and say that. Instead, you say, right. okay, these are the characteristics that I want them to take away. What actions did I take that exhibit or personify these skills and show them happening and then they can conclude oh you must have grit oh you must have you must be able to analyze cost savings and you must be able to identify key negotiating points but you don't say that you figure out what you want them to conclude and then you go find the facts that support those conclusions yeah i mean even better you you think about the facts and you let those facts dictate what conclusions you're going to reach. Sure. I mean, it's a lot easier actually just to write facts and if they're good facts, um, they will lead the reader to draw a lot of conclusions. That's what I think people should be doing. Right. So this is, here's a little side anecdote from 
one of our personal statement service clients that we've got going right now, he, he just, he was, he noted in his, um, shared doc yesterday, he was telling, he's like, well, I could tell this story or I could tell that story, but those stories won't show leadership. And my immediate response was, well, then don't use those stories to try to show leadership. Yeah. Use the, those are good stories. That's shit you did. And you can use them to show lots of other stuff besides leadership. Why are you trying to like force the square peg into the round hole? Yeah. So, I mean, I agree, Ben, that if, if anonymous has the goods to, you know, demonstrate to the reader grit and analytical skills, then that's great. But let's just focus on the facts that show those things. And again, it's just like the whole process needs to be led by the facts, not by the conclusions. Well, it's crazy because good facts, when you tease out things that you did that are impressive on some level, whether they show leadership or something else, or grit or determination or hardworking or commitment, um, the thing about good facts is that they illustrate so many things. It's like like we read that one sentence about her touching down in Philadelphia to negotiate this contract. It's like, okay. Says so much. Yeah, there's so many things that we can assume about you. It's like they say, a picture is a thousand words. You paint a picture with facts. You say, look, yeah. see me doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And we go, oh, you You know what else I this? really like about that? Yeah. Is that it invited the reader to leap to all sorts of conclusions about her. That may not be true. Even. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. Like you, you focus on the facts that are true and don't bother with all of these overreaching conclusions. If you reach to the conclusions, then I'm going to resist that. Mm-hmm. But if you just only present facts, then I very likely might be like, Oh shit. Look at, look, they're flying her first class across the country to the, you know, and it's like, well, it didn't actually say first class. Yeah. But I'm free to imagine that she's on a fucking private jet to go negotiate this contract. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying you should be like looking to trick the reader or whatever. What I'm saying is if you just focus on facts that are in your favor, then the reader very likely might leap to conclusions that are even better than the conclusions that you would be willing to put on the page. Yes. This is all now again, Ben, it's just like everything way out of order chronologically. She just said that she successfully negotiated crucial price points. Yeah. But then the next sentence says, and now I was throwing on a neon hard hat to tour the stainless steel insides of a printing plant in the heart of Pennsylvania farmland. Again, with all those modifiers. Yeah. Unnecessary detail about stainless steel insides and exactly where the printing plant is. I don't give a shit that it's in the heart of Pennsylvania farmland. What's that have to do with anything? Yeah. It could be in Florida. It would make no difference. Ironically, she's telling us that she put on a hat and she's touring. And for some reason, that visualization does seem to move the ball forward for me, at least. Sure. In the sense that I'm like, oh, I'm seeing you do stuff. You're not just sitting here at a desk. 
you're going and inspecting things. Like you're taking responsibility for this project. Right. But yeah. The oversold. fact that they've flown you there to negotiate, you know, to view the thing and negotiate the thing is like, yeah, that's, that's great. You're doing those things. Yeah. But it's also now it's out of order, isn't it? Yeah. You're, you're claiming also never, ever, ever with, I developed traits that would serve me well in a legal career. Do not say that. No. You're telling the law school their own business. Emphasize the facts, but just keep them as the facts about you and let the reader reach their own conclusion. It's just, you don't, (laughs) applicants don't know what lawyers do. So (laughs) you don't need to bother with that editorialization. All right, but it's out of order now because I thought you already negotiated, but now you're just touring the thing again. So now I'm confused. New, okay, here's the third paragraph. After a few meetings, we settled on final terms and signed a contract, reducing our annual printing costs by tens of thousands while maintaining our high-quality features. I continued to delve into new domains, wearing many hats other than a hard hat, colon. I helped produce festivals throughout the Southeast semicolon. I planned photo shoots of James Beard award winners semicolon. I oversaw each issues layout semicolon. And I managed our subscriber base and newsstand distribution. Okay. Did I lose you, Ben? No, no, you're no, there. no. Okay. I'm still there. I'm just. Uh... You're overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, well, starting with the hard hat reference, like it's just trying too hard to like be artsy. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, wearing many hats other than a hard hat. Wink, wink. <laughs> you did. You could have just said wearing many hats and just had it be like a kind of a subtle callback sort of a thing. Yeah. Where the reader would have just kind of made the joke for themselves. But instead, you're now just like really heavy handed with many hats other than a hard hat. And it's like har, har, har. Har, har. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's not the worst part of the sentence. The worst part of the sentence is that it's 43 words. It has a colon, it has three semicolons, and it has semicolon and. So. Technically, you can use semicolons as commas if you have commas within each uh, idea. So I don't know that. But she doesn't. She doesn't. Um, so it doesn't seem necessary. I would. Yeah, if you turn all those into just commas, then it's technically correct. Yeah. But she's using them as. She's using semicolons. I mean, each one of them is a complete sentence. Why doesn't she just use fucking periods? I don't know. It would be a lot nicer. I mean, really, folks, the period is your friend. I can't tell you. I really cannot stress this enough. (laughs) You need more period. Less of all the other punctuation, and you need more periods. Lots and lots of periods. Yeah. Yeah, there should be a certain number in your, we should figure that out actually. <laughs> the minimum number. Well, yeah, it's another way of getting to maximum Shorter words sentences. per sentence yeah. is to say minimum number of sentences per piece or, <laughs> you know, minimum number of periods, by the way. Yeah. You need a period if you're going to have a sentence. 
So let's go ahead and get to that period. When every time you get to a period, it's like, well, that was a successful sentence. Yeah. <laughs> that sentence wasn't broken. But the longer you go on without a period, you just like, it's sort of like an exponential, isn't it? It's like an exponential increase in the risk of that's going to be a broken sentence. Yeah. So this is broken for, you know, I don't know, nine different ways potentially. Well, I also don't, people do this. It's like, okay, you are, when you say I helped produce festivals throughout the Southeast, that's something you did. I like the fact that you're telling me something you did. I planned photo shoots of James Beard award winners. Okay. I like that you're telling me what you did, but it's like brushing over a bunch of things that they did. And so then I don't, I don't get a good vision of what you're doing with any of those. Like you planned photo shoots. I'm not really visualizing what you're doing. I don't know what that means. So it's like too high level of facts. So at least it's the kind of thing where we would, yeah, we would very, we would very likely be like, Oh wow. Like why not give two or three sentences about this? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's an opportunity. Like that's a really cool thing you did. Why don't you tell the reader more about that instead of, you know, my tendency to thrive had kicked in or I Mm. exhibit grit Mm -hmm. or all the other telling. I mean, everything in that first paragraph with the college roommate and the fast path to law school and all that shit, like all that stuff can be cut out. And you could just tell me more like a couple sentences about what it means to plan a photo shoot for a James Beard award winner. Yeah. Or what it means to oversaw oversee an issues layout or what it means to produce a festival you could have expanded on all those accomplishments yeah. instead of wasting time with all of the conclusions and other stuff. She's going to get herself in trouble here, Ben. This is, um, <laughs> I also began helping to copy edit. Oh M-dash. no. Oh no. Yeah. This is actually job- one thing you want to avoid talking about. <laughs> yeah, you do. You really do. I also began helping to copy edit M dash a job usually done exclusively by our CEO and editors. Soon after I had started at the publisher, our editor-in-chief began calling me, quote, eagle eyes, and asked if I would start proofing each issue cover to cover. Oh, yeah. The Her problem request, is- M-dash, and my apparent new moniker, M-dash, was in response to red Sharpie edits I made on glossy proofing sheets right before we went to print. Yeah, Ben, what's the problem with her talking about her copy editing? Yeah, well, the problem here is now you're just, you're raising the ante. You're like, look, I can catch everything. I'm eagle eyes. And so we're like, uh, well, here's five things that you haven't caught so far. Um, I think it's a great experience. It's something you got to get good at as an attorney. You're going to be editing stuff over and over again, not only of your own work, but of other people's work. But it's actually something I would leave out of your personal statement. The only person who could do this is someone who knows that they know their shit. But even then, they're going to be nervous because if they say, look, I'm eagle eyes and they do something right. I've done this before. I'm like, I know this is like most writers do it this way. This is the correct way if you know what you're doing. But you also know that some people think that another way is the correct way. And so you you have this risk of being judged as wrong, even if you're right, um, so to speak. And so you just don't want to bring attention to that because now well, you're just... 
And then there are them. the instances where you are objectively wrong. There are instances. Well, yeah. Well, like, That's the problem is most people think they know and they actually don't. So then, I'm like, well, but she, I mean, I'm sure she knows. But when she's going on and on about her red Sharpie, I'm like, oh, interesting. Because I've got fucking red Sharpie written on my computer screen up here from when I read your second sentence of your personal statement yeah. from when you misused <laughs> the word who in reference to a plant. Yeah. And so it's like it, you've, yeah, I like your idea of like raising the ante where you start talking about your copy editing skills or you start talking about your writing skills and the skeptical reader is going to be like, well, you should have caught that though. And you should have caught this other thing. And yeah, we can cut all that stuff, huh? Yeah. She's got other, she's got so much other better stuff to write about. Yeah. So, I mean, even if this was like super intense and I'm sure they actually did call you eagle eyes and I'm sure you actually did do a great job of copy editing at the magazine, but I'd rather hear about you producing festivals and planning photo shoots. And well, here's one other thing to keep in mind when you're copy editing, you can catch quote 10 mistakes mm-hmm. and the person who's writing the piece may say, Hmm, yeah, I don't agree with five of these problems, but the fact that you identified one or two things that they're like, Oh yeah, I should change that. will make them very happy. Like they're like, yeah, let's fix what's wrong. And I'm just going to ignore what you said. That's not wrong. <laughs> Well, it's also really interesting. You can you can catch lots of them without catching all of them. Yeah. Right? I mean, And as long as you catch some, you're helping. You're helping them. Sure. Like, Ben, we do, you and I do a lot of collaborative editing with one another, right? We've got yeah. the shared Google Doc where we're editing somebody who is a client of ours in the personal statement service. And <laughs> you've made a bunch of edits... And I go through and I look at the edits and I agree with 99% of them. But I'm also like, oh man, I can't believe Ben didn't catch this. I can't yeah. believe Ben didn't catch that. Yeah. And I'm sure you do the exact same thing with mine. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, well, there's also this and there's also that and there's also this other thing. Uh huh. <laughs> so you. <laughs> she, yeah, and, and I don't know. I guess maybe that's like another point in favor of she just needed somebody else's eyes on this. Yeah. Cause one pair of Eagle eyes is apparently not enough. I got to get overall my writing advice for anonymous is that I, I think you got to stop with the semicolons and you also got to cool it with the M dashes, probably no semicolons, no colons and really sparse with the M dashes. Yeah. Cause there's just like a lot. It's like, this is like coming at you. Yeah. Which is just too much because it's like it makes me think about the writing more than the substance. And you've got so much good substance to talk about. Um, okay, we still got a few paragraphs left. Although I enjoyed working in a variety of areas, yeah, that's just kind of falls flat. You could just omit that whole phrase, yep. right? It's like not going anywhere. Eventually, I hit my plateau in publishing, semicolon, I knew I needed something more. Mm. I'd never say this. I, I don't know. I just It just seems like any field you can continue to progress in. 
you can go on and take different roles. There's forever learning in most fields. <laughs> well, it, it, yeah. And it doesn't do what you think it does. People think they need, uh, this is also an ultra common thing that people include in their statement. They, they love to say how they hit, well, I couldn't go any further there. Yeah. For it whatever reason, more badly hit on the wall. You exactly. On, yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you're bored. Oh, well yeah. then you're boring. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, why didn't you find something interesting? Why didn't, you know, like, Oh, do you think that a legal career is going to be super exciting every day? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like one, do your job and stop complaining about it Two, make your job better. Now I'm not saying that like really too anonymous. Yeah. I- I'm just saying that's the impression that it gives. Mm-hmm. Or that's potentially when someone who doesn't know you is going to read that and go, Oh, hmm, that's too bad. You hit your plateau. Other people wouldn't have. Yep. Over the years, I'd often recalled my friend's insistence that I'd love law school. Oh no, please don't bring your friend back. Back with the college roommate. We don't care about your college roommate. I'm sorry. I don't, I, I never ever want to hear about your college roommate in your personal statement <laughs> or your mom or your dad or your really? uncle. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to hear, especially you because you're like an actual professional person. Yeah. You could just tell me about you kicking ass at work and I would be like, Oh my God, let's sign this person up right now for our law school. Yeah. <laughs> like you want, I mean like really the school should be thinking like if you write this the, the correct way, if you write this and just like emphasize how much of a baller you are, the school's going to be like, man, she's making a big mistake by leaving her professional career and going to law school, but we'll take her. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah. She's going to be awesome. And instead you're like making, you know, again, it's back with this, making me think about you as a college kid. And it's like so naive to be my friend insisted. I would like law school. That's a terrible reason to go to law school. Terrible. <sighs> Semicolon, Ben. <laughs> Two sentences in a row now with semicolon. The more I explored it, the more I knew she was right. I don't care. Also, pure telling. What do you mean yeah. you explored it? How did you explore it? You haven't did you been to think about school. it at night? <laughs> yeah. In your mind? I absorbed as much as I could about the whole process and dedicated myself to a rigorous timeline. Later, resigning from the magazine. Okay. Telling. You know, it's just like, why do I care? Yeah. I stayed in touch with the editor in chief and continued to proof issues monthly. Okay. Oh dear God. With bright eyes, I was moving full speed ahead. <laughs> Semicolon. <laughs> Semicolon. I began reading books for pre-law students and attorneys alike. Researched schools and ABA 509 disclosures with disclosures capitalized for some reason and met with legal experts, including judges, lawyers, and deans. (sighs) Cut the whole paragraph. I don't want that paragraph at all. There's nothing in there. I like, I don't care about you resigning. I don't care that you continued to proof issues monthly. You had an actual professional job. Tell me about all the achievements at that job. And then if you're going to move to another job, which it looks like she is, tell me about the the other job. I don't need this whole paragraph of like treading water. 
All right. But nothing made me sure. Sorry. But nothing made me more sure that I was on the right path. And again, I don't want to know about your, like what you think. (laughs) I don't believe you. Yeah. Right. Like I'm the law school. It's my determination whether you're a good fit for my law school. You don't, your mind, your mental state that this is the perfect thing for you is, is it's a complete zero to me. I don't want to know about that. Yeah. Nothing made me more sure I was on the right path than when I began working for a Lieutenant Colonel judge advocate general at a busy general practice in Maine. Well, why are we saying that it's busy? <laughs> It's like trying too hard. Why are we saying that it's a general practice? Why don't you just say you're working for a lieutenant colonel, judge advocate general? Yep. Now, over one year, sorry, now after over one year of being in court, (laughs) (laughs) one after over one year of being in court. So 13 months. Well, also, you could just say, <laughs> for the last year, I, and then yes. say what you did instead of making, I don't even know how to, well, I guess it is going to get to an I. This is all a prelude to the actual <laughs> subject of the sentence. Okay, I got it. Now, after over one year of being in court, drafting legal documents, and working closely with attorneys, comma, I, oh my God, have no doubt about my decision <laughs> to apply to law school and become a lawyer. I'm starting to think now that you have doubt. <laughs> yeah, right. It's doubt. totally You're protesting like, too much. Absolutely. I'm convincing myself through this statement that I should be subjecting myself to these I'm a three years of misery. With you. And it's such a missed opportunity because she could have said, I draft legal documents. I, I, yes. <laughs> I go to court. I do this. I do that. Instead, she does it in this weird prelude to the actual sentence. And then the actual sentence is just another thing about her lack of doubt. Mm. And we know you're fucking applying to law school. (laughs) I have no doubt about my decision to apply to law school. Good. (laughs) I'm reading your personal statement as part of your application to law school. I hope you have no doubt because when I accept you, I want you to turn around and accept. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but now that you're telling me you have no doubt, I wonder if you do. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. Wait, there was something else I wanted to shit on earlier. Where was that? Was it to do the to, to do be to the to be sorry, <laughs> I can't talk. The to be verb of being in court. That was awful. Don't get me wrong. The beginning of that sentence made me throw up in my mouth a little bit with after over one year of being in court. I just, I don't know what's wrong with that. I just kill it with fire. I don't, not even going to try to fix it. That's just going to be deleted. It was something earlier. Oh yeah. It was way back in the previous paragraph. She, she did the contraction on I had, she made it I'd, she said, uh-huh. over the years, I'd often recalled my friend's insistence that I'd love law school. Yeah. <clears throat> and so there she's like, yeah, I, that she wants to say, I had often recalled 
I'd often recall. Maybe it's correct. I don't know. It just bumped me for whatever reason. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That was contractions. By the way, aren't sometimes people go through their personal statement and they remove all contractions, and that's not good. That sounds either. so stuffy and weird when you. Yeah. Do that. So they're good, um, but yeah, sometimes you have to just read them and say, okay, is it clear to say I did or I'd or whatever, right? And I'd is one that's a little ambiguous because the the apostrophe D can actually refer to more than one word. Whereas it could be like, I had can't. or it could be I would, right? Yeah, or I did because you'd say I'd. Oh, yeah, you can do that. That's weird if you do, but. Yeah, so there are some contractions that aren't as good as others. Um, can't, ironically, by the way, side note here about writing, um, saying I cannot do something versus I can't do something, sometimes people will write I cannot because they really want to emphasize that not. It turns out that when someone's reading that, they're more likely to misinterpret your sentences saying that you can than when you use the contraction can't. Because mm, when people yeah. see the word can't, uh, they almost never misinterpret that as can, sure. but cannot, they'll just drop the word not and then they'll read it as can. And the LSAT does that all the time. People miss nots because they don't do contractions. She's meandering here. She's going back and forth between what she did and what she thinks. Yep. And I would vastly prefer that she eliminates everything about what she thinks and just says what she did and then let the reader reach their own conclusions. Again, I can't say this enough, but you're applying to law school. We know you want to go to law school. Stop saying you want to go to law school. So now she's going to say more about what she did. I've had the opportunity to write appellate briefs, assist in trials, and attend oral arguments at the main Supreme Judicial Court. Legal writing has become a strong interest of mine. Semicolon. I value developing its craft and recognize its importance in this field. You value that? Yeah, it's it's so telling, huh? And it's also like, okay, great, you're talking about writing again. So now you're just raising the bar even more. Just say you wrote briefs. Say you assisted in trials, said you attended oral arguments. That's all great. Those are yeah. all points. Those are all, that would be like scored a point there, scored a point there, scored a point there. And then we would conclude from that, that you know what you're doing when you're applying to law school. Like, oh, but she must know what she's getting into. Full bullshit on the next sentence. Legal writing has become a strong interest of mine. Semicolon. I value developing its craft and recognize its importance in the field. It's like you're telling again, telling the reader their own business. Yeah. Just cut all that. Say what you did. My unconventional path leading me here oh. has solidified my professional development, provided diverse experiences and shaped my ideal of a career. I don't care. Are yeah. you going to kick ass once you get here? Yeah, and don't tell me you're going to kick ass once you get here. Show me all the asses you have kicked. <laughs> That's an image. Line up all 10 asses, the 10 most prominent asses that you have kicked, and just show me them in chronological order. And that's it. 
<laughs> I don't need anything else. I don't need a single conclusion. I don't need any introduction. I don't need any conclusion. I just need like a trail of dead bodies. Whoa. <laughs> Seriously. I want a fucking killer. I want, I don't want a nice lawyer, Ben. I want a fucking killer. Yeah. Show me all of the bodies <laughs> that you have murdered. And I will be like, yep, that's the one. There but instead it's just all this telling of like really solidified your professional development. What does that mean? I have no idea. Provided diverse experiences. Absolutely. Anyone can say shaped. My ideal of a career is again, you talking about your own mental state. <sighs> Helping clients through legal processes, impacting their lives constitutes this ideal comma as a member of a rewarding and respected profession. (laughs) I just don't even know what to say. I recently a justice granted a motion. I drafted awarding our client child support arrearages. Hey, that's a good fact. That sounds, see, that's a dead body. Mm -hmm. I like that more like that. Less about how helping clients through legal processes impacting their lives constitutes your ideal career (laughs) comma as a member of a rewarding and respected profession. That's just like brown nosing. And the reader immediately goes, it's not actually that rewarding. It's not actually that respected. I wish it were respected more. (laughs) I'm sitting here in the admissions office of this stupid fucking school because I went here and paid $150,000 for a JD and never practiced law. And now I'm evaluating your application and you're telling me how respected and rewarding the legal career is. I don't know. Creating. Okay. So she drafted this motion and it was granted. That's awesome. More like that, please. Creating such a direct benefit for someone who couldn't benefit otherwise inspires me to help others overcome similar unresolved issues. I have made it my goal to help deliver justice to those who can't help themselves and to practice law as an attorney. I hope that's your goal. Why do people still (laughs) use the word (laughs) justice in their personal statement? Well, yeah, it's, it's funny because this is like a long time listener, long time correspondent of the show. Yeah. And she abused the shit out of the semicolons, which we've warned against a million times. And she also had to come back with justice in the, which we've said the word justice does not belong in your personal statement. And she's telling me that she wants to practice law as an attorney, which is just the most obvious thing you could possibly put. Literally every single person who's applying to law school wants to practice law as an attorney. Yeah. 
I mean, I hope to God they want to practice law as an attorney. Otherwise, why are they applying to law school? You know, I don't even like the idea, like the fact that she's putting in there, I've made it my goal to help deliver justice to those who can't help themselves. Yeah. I I feel like that hurts your application more than it helps it. Sure. Why? Because the whole game, it's got to be fucking realistic, Ben. It's about money. This shit is about money. (laughs) Law school and lawyers are about money. And I I know you don't, that's, you know, whatever you have social justice aspirations. That's nice. But most people who go into law school with those aspirations are going to be disappointed and they're going to end up doing something related to money. People with money can pay. Like you're not going to law school because you hope to make $40,000 a year. Are you? No, you're going to law school because you want to make six figures and (laughs) just, I had made it my goal to help deliver justice to those who can't help themselves. Really, um, I see what you're saying. You're going to be help. You're going to be delivering justice to those who can help. Well, themselves. who's going <laughs> to fucking pay your salary? Yeah. Like, wh- what job is it that you're going to get where you're actually going to help deliver justice to those who can't help themselves? I mean, now, like, let's just look at this motion that she just drafted. She's getting child support for a client. Well, that's part of, I assume, you know, an expensive divorce. Mm -hmm. There's money there somewhere. You know, your client, even if they're not rich now, they were rich or in the marriage, they were rich. And you are getting the money somewhere. So I guess I get it that you're helping somebody who without an attorney, they might not be able to access this money. I don't know. I don't know why it's so irritating. Hey, this discussion reminds me of the 2000 movie came out in 2000 with Nicolas Cage, the family man. (laughs) Did you ever see that? No, but I just watched a horrible Nick Cage movie. Um, (laughs) The family man. Yeah. So it's funny because it's like this, you know, he's with this girl and they, um, he's a big executive at some company and she's in law school or something. And, it's the whole movie is based on this premise of like, what if they had stayed together? And so it goes back in time and they stay together. And instead of uh, going into like big law, she ends up going into like this pro bono practice, right? She doesn't make any money and she has pro bono for- practice. Yeah. <laughs> A thing that doesn't exist, but okay. It's Hollywood. All right. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. It's Hollywood. Right. And they're all, they're poor, but they're all happy. And she's like helping these clients in her city who, you know, need legal services and blah, blah, blah. And he ends up not going on and becoming this like executive of some huge company. And he's just this like, tire salesman anyways the whole movie is like he's you know disoriented he's like he gets he it's like he's transported into this alternate universe and he's confused and he doesn't understand and he hates it because he's poor and he doesn't have this money but then by the end he realizes that he likes it and of course the little magician dude comes and he's like okay time to go and he goes back to like his um the real world where he's this high-powered executive he's separated from this girl she's like gone off to some big practice and she's heading it overseas and anyways 
it just made me think of that because <laughs> that's the reality. <laughs> and the fantasy is that you're happy in some small town making no money, but helping poor people, I guess. Um, which, you know, that would be great if people could do that. But well, most people can't. there are like government jobs, right? And there are NGOs and there are nonprofits. And so there are some jobs that truly do deliver justice to those who can't help themselves. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> those jobs are real hard to get. And either they pay nothing or the ones that pay anything are really, really hard to get. And I just want, I just applicants need to realize that there are far more people who think that they're going to go become some pro bono lawyer than actually there are jobs to support you. And law schools don't want students who are going to not be able to build successful legal careers. So having read thousands of personal statements by now in my career, I just, it, the ones that if I were a law school, even if I did want do gooders, I would still be wanting to admit people who sound like they're open to the possibility of an actual, like lucrative legal career. So every time you say my goal is to help deliver justice to those who can't help themselves, I just think that the schools have to be like, Oh yeah, you and 3000 of these other applications that I have. Mm hmm. And, oh, let me look at my unsatisfied graduates. My unsatisfied graduates are clearly going to be heavily weighted toward those people who thought that they were going to go to law school to deliver justice to those who can't help themselves. Yeah. Like people who wash out of law, wash out of law because, oh, I thought I was going to be helping refugees. You know? No, No, you're actually helping Google get talented workers into the United States. Yes. That's where the money is. If yeah, if you're going to practice immigration law, you're going to be practicing immigration law on behalf of big corporations. Like 9 times out of 10 or at least 9 times out of like actual jobs that pay. Mm-hmm. They're just the one thing about that poor refugee dishwasher who you want to help and I'm with you. I want to help that person too. But that person can't pay. And who is going to pay? Because presumably you're not going to law school because you want to work for free for your whole life. You know, (laughs) like there has to be a job somewhere for you to be able to help these people who can't help themselves. There has to be, somebody has to be willing to pay your salary. So who's it going to be? So I don't know. I'm not saying don't go to law school for social justice purposes, but I am saying you might want to leave that out of your application. Yeah. It's just, there's too many applications that look like that. And the law schools, they can't be that stupid. They can't be so stupid that they're like, oh yeah, this is going to, this year, all of our people who came to law school to become social justice warriors are going to be able to find successful careers in social justice warrioring. Yeah. You know, they're not that dumb. They know that (laughs) like best case you're going to change your mind and decide to go work at a firm because that's where their successful alumni come from. (sighs) I'm painting with a super broad brush. I want to acknowledge again that yes, there are these jobs, but you know, like if you think you're going to go to work for the NAACP, (laughs) one of you is one of the 
3000 of you listening to this is going to get that job. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah. So I just wanted to talk about length really quick. This statement is two pages long. It's uh, double spaced. It looks like the font size is either 11 or 12, which is right. Okay. Um, so the formatting is all great. And someone who a lot of students, I think, would look at this or applicants would look at this and say, hey, okay, two pages, double spaced. Um, that's what I'm looking for. But sometimes we work with clients, right? And their statement is only a page and a paragraph or, you know, and they're like, I feel like it's too short. But you're looking at the wrong metric because if you have a personal statement that's a page and a little bit more, but every sentence is moving the ball forward, giving us facts that tell us something about you. Like that first sentence in this pair, in this personal statement, right? Just told us so much. Well, when you're done reading that page or so of personal statement, you are like, wow, I know this person and they're a badass. This personal statement has roughly 35 to 40 sentences. I don't know the exact number, but I would say a good three-fourths of them, sadly are not moving the ball forward. And so the reality is, is this statement is actually shorter really than the one that's a page and a quarter or whatever. This is like a paragraph. In the value two. it's delivering. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's because it's long on words and short on ideas. The the it's such a missed opportunity though because boy, yeah. it, it sounds like she's got so much awesome kick-ass career shit. And if we had been working with her on this, we would have been like, tell me more about this. Tell me more about that. What did this look like? Oh, what exactly did you do when you were working closely with attorneys? What did that mean? Tell me a little bit more about the detail of the day to day. And we could have just jammed these two pages with facts. And those facts would have said so much more than all of these conclusions that she put in here. And we might've decided to end after a page and a half. That's okay. And that's actually good. Like, People are relieved that they don't have to read so much and they'll be rewarded because they're going to read it and get substance and be like, okay, I know who you are. Thank you. That's like the mic drop. Yeah. Yeah, If you go in there and you just completely kick ass for 45 minutes and drop the mic, that's a great show. (laughs) Like you, you killed it. Awesome. Or if you go in there and you make a devastating closing argument and you decide to only use half of your time, well, fantastic. Like you made your case. Yeah. I can't imagine a less than one page personal statement just because it would look so weird. Yeah. But anything on to the second page. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it delivers the goods, why not? Yep. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I think she could use like... the full two pages cause she has like a career to write about. Yeah. So many facts she could have talked about and just, you, you could really, if you just use all the facts, you just don't even need to make any conclusion at all. I know we've said that a million times, but the best conclusions are the ones that aren't even stated. The reader just gets there on their own because of all of your amazing facts. Cool. Um, boy, <clears throat> she asked for it. <laughs> she, she said, rip it up. So hopefully she doesn't hate us too much. That said, she applied with all of, she applied with this statement. Uh, she applied to shit tons of schools and she's got some offers. Yeah. We're not going to go into the details 
but I do want to just make a couple quick comments on the spreadsheets that sure. she gave us. What do, what do you want to say? Well, first, she's done her homework. So when she's negotiating with these schools, she has a lot of opportunities to compare their offers to other offers and also just understand what they're really offering her because these spreadsheets are huge. Um, she's got tons of schools in them and she's got tons of data about the schools that I think a lot of applicants aren't thinking about. They're just like, Hey, did I get in or not? How much money did I get? Oh, I got $15,000. Yay. Thank you. That's more than $10,000 at this other school. Um, I'm going to go. And you know, you look at what she's doing here. She's probably doing a little overkill here, but I'd much rather have this be my attorney <laughs> well, than that's... someone who's under prepared right make no mistake lawyers are all about overkill yeah you know it's like that remember a couple episodes ago we read that personal statement where someone was like i was sure we had submitted enough (laughs) yeah and it's like like, well that's not a lawyer yeah a lawyer is never sure that you've submitted enough a lawyer is like would you like it again in triplicate oh also by the way i need to add this and this and this and this and this and this other thing Mm mm-hmm so the fact that she's got <laughs> she's got way too much data on here, like the year that they were accredited by the ABA. Oh, whoa! I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like more I don't give enough. a shit what year. Yeah, Georgia hmm. was a accre- accre- uh, was accredited, but oh, by the way, it was 1930. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just unnecessary. But the the stuff on here that she's got that's really useful. So she's wherever she grabbed all this data from, she's got the acceptance percentage. She's got the class sizes. She's got the 75th, 50th and 25th for LSAT and GPA. She put in all the bogus data here about like number of faculty and all that stuff. I don't think that's really relevant at all. The money stuff is important. So she's got the tuition. She's got the non-resident tuition. She's got the cost of living And then she's calculating the first year tuition plus living cost. And then it looks like multiplying that by three to get the three year tuition and living cost. Well, so (laughs) by the way, those are all (laughs) look at what those numbers are in that that far right column. Yeah. They're, they're edging close to 300,000. Oh, holy shit. And then on the, on the next page. Oh, I see what she's done. I think she's extrapolating their tuition increases. Yes, she is. So she she just sent us an email actually and explained that. So oh. some schools have told her, hey, there's an 8% increase in tuition from year to year. Some schools haven't made it public or haven't told her, but she's figured that out by looking at their 509 reports and saying, from previous okay, what, years. Yeah, what was tuition last year? What's it now? Okay, that was a 10% increase. I'm going to assume that that's your standard. Sure. Uh, which is great because how many people are saying, "Oh, tuition's fifty grand." Okay, so hundred fifty. Got it. Thanks. No, not um, if they keep jacking it up by ten percent every year. Yep. So these are all wonderful things to ask because when they're telling you, "Hey, we're going to give you a scholarship for forty thousand dollars on a fifty thousand dollar tuition," you're saying, "Okay, so it's going to cost me ten. Well, yeah, but next year it's going to cost you fifteen. I mean, assuming you keep it. These are the kinds of things you need to know so that when you go into a negotiation, you know whether the offer is good or not. You know whether to jump and take it or to wait and ask for more. Yeah, so she's calculating extrapolated third-year cost 
yeah. uh, extrapolated three year total cost minus scholarships and stipends and whatever else they're giving her. She's also got columns on here for the deposit deadlines for the conditions for renewing the scholarship. She's got columns on here for, I think she's got, she must have the um, like percentage of scholarships that get taken away. Yeah. How does yeah. she have that reduced or eliminated? Actually, I'm not seeing it. She should have it on there. I mean, one thing you can do with the percentage of scholarships reduced or eliminated is you can sort of like calculate then your expected value of like, yeah. well, if I'm a typical student at this school, then here's my, my chances or I'm a typical yeah. scholarship student at this school. Here's my chances of keeping it. And you can sort of like weight the offer, you know, based on, yeah. well, there's yeah. some non-zero chance that I'm going to lose the scholarship and here's how much it would cost me if I did lose the scholarship um, and not drop out. Of course you should definitely drop out if you lose your scholarship, but um, well, the, the swing in total costs is astounding here because like yeah. some schools are over 300,000, some are as low as 56. Now, of course, this is based on the offers that they've given her and she's calculated that all up together and she says, okay, look, after three years of living expenses, tuition minus scholarships, and <laughs> it would be nice to incorporate this expected value that you're talking about. She doesn't look like she's done that, but regardless, she's still light years ahead of most applicants. She's saying, I'm going to walk away with about $56,000 in expenses versus some other school over 300000 I mean, the difference. Oh, my gosh. That is incredible. She's got 34 schools on the list. I mean, that's overkill, but good. Overkill is awesome. Yeah. You know, you win. <laughs> like, one thing about using too many bombs is that you definitely win. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, that's what she's doing. She's just, yeah, she's murdering here, which is fantastic. Um, crazy. The wild swings, you know, it's, it, yeah. So she's got on the low end, what? $56,000 it's going to cost her. Yeah. Uh, that's at a school that's obviously giving her a full ride. Um, then on the high end, Harvard, no, not Harvard. <laughs> crazy what school is on the number one Wait, number what's one the high end i see harvard yep there's one that's higher mm, i'm missing it notre dame wow holy shit one l resident tuition plus all fees seventy eight thousand dollars at notre dame can that possibly be right oh my god <laughs> that goes back to like what Ben Barton was saying about how it, there's the irony that the highest and lowest ranked schools end up giving you the, the biggest indebtedness. Yeah. So that's like Harvard on the very high end and then Notre Dame on far lower. And <clears throat> it makes me feel like these cars I was looking at just so like the price <laughs> is not connected with the quality in any yeah. way. So you just have to yeah. dig in and figure out what's the best deal. Also, there's so much randomness in the admissions process and so much randomness in the scholarships that they're going to try to give you. So the best thing you can do to combat that is to just apply to this big, broad, diverse basket of schools and then just see what comes in. Um, she's also got a column here on how much money they're going to give her <laughs> weather and how much money they're going to give her to visit. Yeah. So it's like some schools are buying her plane tickets. Some schools are paying for her hotels. Um you know, it's worth pointing out that if you're paying for law school, 
that's one of the things you're paying for is for them to like fly better candidates than you across the country and put them up in a hotel to try to get them to come to the school to kick your ass in the academic competition. Yeah. (laughs) They're going to give those people scholarships too and potentially living stipends. And then you're going to have to compete with them for grades. Um, so don't pay for law school. She asked specifically Ben about how to push some of these deadlines back. Uh, it looks like all these deadlines are happening in April. Yeah. The ones that I can see are happening in April. What would you say to one of these schools if they had admitted you, given you a, you know, an okay offer, but not like knocked your socks off? Uh, what would you say if you didn't want to pay their April 1st or April 15th seat deposit? So the goal in my mind is always to be super respectful, grateful, um, but then ask for what you want. So, you know, you but not like something. obsequious, right? Like you can be business polite yeah, and grateful sure. without, Oh my, like gushing. Oh my God. Oh, you know, like sure. you don't want to totally sure. show your cards. Oh, I agree. But okay. I think there's value in being respectful because sure. it actually shows um, a position of strength, right? Like if you really can walk away and there are better offers for you, then you don't want to be a jerk. You just say, Hey, I, I really appreciate your offer. Actually, this is me more just talking. In an email, I'd probably say, thank you for your offer. I appreciate the time and effort. I'm considering two other options right now. Uh, could you possibly delay my deposit until this time? I, I don't see why not. Um, especially if you are in a position of strength, you just stick to the facts. You just say, hey, this is I'm considering this offer from Georgetown or I'm doing this. Um I am still interested in your school, fact, true, but I would like some more time to decide. If they say no to you, they're risking you walking away. Yeah. And so there's you, you, you can't look at this as just the school holds all the cards. This is not like Vegas where you know the house always wins. This is um, – they're trying to get you just as much as you're trying to go to somewhere you want to go. And so – Know the lay of the land, like what she's doing here. Get familiar with all the different ways an agreement can be arranged. I mean, it's not just about the amount of money they offer to you. It's also about the conditions of the scholarship. It's about, you know, the living expenses, the whole package. So you look at all of that, and when someone doesn't want to give on something, you can ask in another thing, right? So if you're doing this correctly, they need you way more than you need them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, you got to flip that exactly on its head. You don't even need to go to law school, but if yeah. you do need to go to law school, you certainly don't need to go to their dumb law school. You know, there's, <laughs> that's why, I mean, anonymous has applied to 34 law schools. So she has, she is definitely going to have multiple competing offers. And that's step one of this whole negotiation is to just put yourself in the position where you can walk away from anyone. If think about negotiating, well, on the car dealer that, you know, at the car dealer, Ben, did yeah. you actually buy something or are you still shopping or no, but it shows the power of being willing to walk away because when we set a really low number, <laughs> They said no, but they still came back with something that was surprisingly low. Yeah. And And, haggling, I mean, 
I hate haggling. Like I buy cars at CarMax so that I don't have to deal with any of that type of bullshit. Yeah. But <clears throat> I just, it's not my personality. I just don't like it. But like, if you've ever been to, um, I mean, I went to Thailand 20 years ago and at Thailand, they have all in Thailand, they have all these night markets and at the night markets, they have all these like trinkets and things that you might want to buy. And it's just part of the culture is that you have to haggle, right? So they always start off with some price that's like way too high. And if you're a really stupid tourist, you might just go ahead and pay it, which is fine. You're donating money to the local economy, but <laughs> they, they expect you to ask for a different price. Mm-hmm. And you, one of the things that you, you know, if you're going to get a really good deal, you have to like kind of start walking away. It's like part yeah. of how it works. You just go, Oh no, I'm sorry. And you, you say it politely, right? You're not like a dick to them, but you, you politely say, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, it's really nice. But you know, I just, um, no, the, it's just the price is too high and you start walking away and then magically the price drops, you know, significantly mm-hmm. to try to get you to buy it. <laughs> yeah. That's what would happen. I mean, I almost feel like trying to get them to push the deposit deadlines just as a negotiating tactic, you know, Mm -hmm. like just see what they'll do if you try to push their negotiate, try to push that deadline. Yeah. You're signaling to them that you are willing to walk away, that this is not your only offer. You're not desperate. Yeah. And you might be surprised to see what will happen once you start sort of edging away from their little booth. Yeah, for all you know, they might say, well, look, the deadlines are firm, but what if we're able to increase your scholarship? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Interesting twist. Or, or not. Yeah. I also, she asked specifically about like how much information she should share. Yeah. I don't think you necessarily need to share any information. I mean, if you have an offer that you really want to show them, fine. Like you have some really great offer and you're like, nah, I'm about to take this offer yeah. Let's see if they can beat You're it. You're planning to walk away. You're going to go get that offer. You don't see how they could come back with anything better. There's but you nothing. give them the opportunity to knock your socks off. Sure. Yeah. Then that's fine. But if this is still like in the early stages of the negotiation, and if you don't have an offer that's like dramatically better than what they've offered you, I don't know that I would be sharing mediocre other offers. Yeah. Right. Like, is that Honda dealer going to really care if you're like, well, I've got this car that I could buy at this mediocre price, you know, they're just not going to be impressed. Yeah. I agree. Um, let's see. Did we answer all of these questions for anonymous? Oh, uh, the language. Exactly. Right. I would just say, thank you for the offer. I'm still interested. Can you do X? Can you match this offer? You can be yourself, but like be your business self. Mm-hmm. Be your professional, polite, but, you know, no nonsense, firm business self. Be yeah. Pretend like you're a lawyer negotiating a deal or, you know, you're negotiating the terms of a contract here. I mean, that's literally what you're doing is negotiating a contract. So <clears throat> you can push back on all the different areas that you want them to change and then just see what they'll, you know, see what they're willing to give on and what they're not willing to give on. I would just say keep in touch. And definitely ask for what you're, what you want. I mean, if they're in the business of lowballing people, I mean, that's what they're going to try to get. They want you to pay the most they can get you to pay. That's obvious, right? Yeah. 
But I mean, they're trying to get you to pay the most and you want to pay the least. And everybody knows that that's the game. And so I don't think you need to be shy about saying, Hey, can you reconsider your scholarship offer? I have other competitive offers in hand. I don't know. Any, anything else? No. This whole thing about like, should she include cost of living one year or all the years? I don't know. I don't, I don't think she needs to get all specific. Does she? No, I would only raise that off. If, if, if they come back and they say, Hey, look, we can't do this for this or something like that. You could say, I really appreciate, again, I appreciate your effort. I'm concerned because the estimated cost of living here is X number of dollars more than this other option that I'm considering. I'm not sure how I can, you know, manage that. And then you're putting the ball back in their court. You're saying, look, I'm aware of what's going on here. I'm a, I'm an informed consumer and maybe they'll, they'll throw you a bone. They'll say, okay, yeah, well here, here's $5,000 in stipend. Is that clear it up it's not quite the ten thousand dollar difference you're talking about but we just gave you five grand for stipend you know make yourself look like ben olson a savvy consumer he's probably got the like consumer reports printouts and he's you know clearly going to 10 different car dealers today and is not going to buy a car right this second Mm -hmm. that's what you want to look like you don't want to look like the person who you know walked there And is about to go on a road trip to the Grand Canyon tonight and like needs, needs car, an SUV yeah. today. <laughs> You've got all your kids with you. <laughs> I'm hungry, Daddy. We let's go. We're supposed to we're late. <laughs> you know, like don't look like that. Just make sure you look savvy and you've got other offers and you're in no hurry. I mean, again, the same advice that we've been giving the last couple episodes, but when you're listening to this, it's early March and it, you got months still before you really need to make a decision. They have the arbitrary April 1st or April 15th deadline for your first deposit, but that there's no, they're still going to be admitting people two months from now, right? They've got people on wait lists. You can put them on a fucking wait list. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there's no reason that you have to, that now again, they could stick and say, Nope, we have to have your deposit. But if they do, even if they do do that, you could still, you're not going to really know until you say, oh, okay, well, I'm sorry, but I have these other offers. I guess I'm just going to have to walk away. Yeah. You'll be surprised. You potentially would be surprised what happens on April 2nd or April 16th after that deadline has already passed. Um, (laughs) I don't think that they're going to just immediately be letting you go that easily. Yeah. Um, they might be talking, Oh, we have a second deposit deadline on such and such. (laughs) It's like, yeah, (laughs) I bet you do. Um, one final note, there's just a funny kind of a note. Uh, anonymous was one of the people who got an email saying that she was registered for the March, 2020, uh, (laughs) March, 2020 LSAT. Yeah. And then she got a follow-up email saying, actually you're not registered because she wasn't, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's like, it was funny because it like sort of turned it around and, and blamed it on her almost. Let me, I think I can read the, I think I can read the, the uh, text of this. This was kind of funny. The subject of the email was 
erroneous email regarding the March 2020 LSAT. And then the email from LSAC says, Dear Candidate, we are aware that we erroneously contacted you regarding the March 2020 LSAT. However, you were registered for the March 2019 LSAT. (laughs) We sincerely apologize for any confusion the message may have caused. If you are not registered for the March 2020 LSAT, please disregard the email. There will be no further action required on your part. I like how they kind of said how they're, they're like, they're saying it's our fault, but they're also sort of backpedaling like, well, but you were registered for the March 2019 LSAT. <laughs> so that's why we got confused. It's, it's not a thousand. It's not totally our fault because you have been registered for a March LSAT in the past. I don't know. I thought that was amusing. I agree. Hey, good stuff, huh? Yeah. You want to wrap it up? Yeah, let's do it. So join the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can follow us at Thinking LSAT on Instagram and Twitter. Visit strategyprep.com for my classes in the D.C. area, foxlsat.com for Nathan's classes in L.A. and San Francisco. Our joint project is LSAT Demon, which is at lsatdemon.com. All you need in your phone to study for the LSAT is there. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, and our very own thinkinglsat.com. Leave us a review if you're so inclined. That was episode 234 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. (laughs) 